dude, I feel you. I, I didn't have a podcast for a very long time because it was too much to learn. And then we had giggle boys started and we were in Gary's attic for fucking four months. <laughs> Lost probably 10 episodes. Cause someone forgot to turn on audio or hit record on this. Oh dude. I've, I had to write myself a note hit record. You can't really see it in the camera, but I always forget to hit record on my audio. So I have to like wait for the YouTube to upload and then try to rip it from YouTube and it never fucking works right. And yeah, of course. I know, but we're live. What's going on guys? Uh, let's do it. Let's do this. Got a special guest, been trying to, uh, try to get him on for a couple weeks now. And he's just, <laughs> he's exploded. You figure, you know, you, you think, you know, you got a guy locked down. Next thing you know, Joe Rogan shouts him out and you can't get a hold of him anymore. It's uh it's a blessing and a curse, man. I it's such a funny stage in comedy to be at because I'm on the road a lot and I'm out doing shows, but I'm featuring or hosting a lot of the time, so the money's not great. So most of the time, I'm just losing money to go and do new cities, and it's like an investment. But then I have to go back and do my day job so that I can keep living indoors. You know, right? So it's like between uh, like you know everything in comedy is going better than it ever has and things are starting to click but it's like man that shit don't pay <laughs> oh dude trust me i've been doing this for a year and it's uh granted it's not traveling but i mean i'm slowly upgrading gear and stuff and i don't get paid for any of this it's just something i enjoy doing almost like you said like an investment maybe one day it'll work out but i like doing it and uh in your case, it seems like you're moving in the right direction. So, for those of you, and I'm having a fucking blast, <laughs> right? For those of you who might not recognize the face or the voice, uh, I'm joined tonight by Mike Eaton, a uh, an Austin comic, kind of a big up and comer. What's going on, Mike? Oh, just uh, living the dream, man. I just uh, finished having lunch with a couple comics and talking about some plans for the evening. Got three shows tonight, so three shows. It's be a fun one. We're at uh, Creek in the Cave. I got one at Creek, one at East Austin Comedy Club, and one at Vulcan. So, oh, so you're gonna be doing some running around tonight, huh? Yeah, baby, that's, that's the dream. What's the? <laughs> it's, uh, it's go ahead. Austin's fucking perfect for it though, because it's people don't give enough credit to how small geographically the city is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, it's you know, in LA, you've got at the West Hollywood, you've got the Comedy Store, the Laugh Factory, and the Hollywood Improv, but they are not walking distance from each other. They're a short Uber, but for sure not walking distance, but you can literally hop on a lime scooter and be between Creek and Vulcan in two minutes. Yeah. I think, um, the only times I've ever been in downtown Austin has been with drinking bros people. Um, Mm -hmm. like I think, um, uh, you probably don't remember. We met at the hard AF launch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with your wife, you, are you still married or you already ditch her for some reason? I'm not. I'm divorced now. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you hit that fame. You hit a certain level of fame. You got to ditch the the first one, right? Yeah, I, it was more just like uh, I have to have so much commitment to both my day job and my my comedy that there's not a lot of time left over. And you know, I, I don't blame her. It's not fun to be you know second or third place. And uh, so you know, I'm just comedy's my wife now, and she's she's a hot bitch. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Well. Hopefully you can at least get some uh, some material out of you know a marriage and divorce. For sure, dude. It, it's it's already going to be just funny. I mean, it's just the way comedy goes. I recorded my special in June, 
and uh, <clears throat> the material on it I'd been working on really hard for about a year and getting it ready. And you know, I'm only four years into comedy, so it was you know, exciting to put out a half hour and it's like, let's fucking go. And I have probably 10 minutes of jokes about being married. Right. And one of the premises is that my wife is surprised that I'm not gay. Uh, and I also am. And then now I'm divorced. It's like, so did you find out you're gay, bud? Like, right. so just the fucking timing of it is great. Yeah. I remember uh, kind of the first, my first exposure to you was with uh, when you started Giggle Boys and you, uh, you and Eli showed up at the, the drinking bros before you even had the, I think you guys may have had your podcast, but it wasn't on the network. You guys just kind of showed up. I think maybe, if I remember correctly, like you got fucked up with Giorgio or something one night, and he he got you on the show. And uh, yeah, yeah, I just remember like, oh, these guys are funny. And then you mentioned like, oh yeah, I just got married, and I was like, oh, I watched, and I was like, to a guy, right? I was like, oh no, <laughs> dude, it's wild. How it, you know, it, it's actually even gotten me laid a few times uh, where girls were like, wait, you're not gay. Prove it. You know? Prove it. Uh, but, but yeah, dude, it's, it, I don't know. It, I mean, it's partially because I'm very, you know, you know, flamboyant and I gesticulate a lot and I have a high pitched voice and I'm, you know, kind of fashioning you sometimes. People are like, yeah, that dude's gay. <laughs> hey, man. If it works, lean into it. I, uh, in college, uh, I knew a guy who we were out at a bar one night and he overheard this super hot chick that we had known, like, we didn't know her all that well. Like we had talked to her, but we've seen her on campus. We overheard her saying that her goal, her freshman year, was to turn a gay guy. So I had a friend who acted gay for a solid two months to sleep with this Amazing. chick. Amazing, and it worked. Did it work? It worked. It worked. There you go. Now that I'm in, like I'm I'm 34 now. Looking back, I was like, kind of questionable efficacy there. But there's worse, <coughs> worse things you could do in college, you know. Well, I mean, it's it's kind of one of those things where I think the evils cancel out. Because if you're a lady and you're like, I'm going to turn a gay guy, like, that's shitty. What are yeah. you doing? You know? <laughs> but but also, t- to be fair, that's a great opportunity for a dude to be like, no, I'm gay for sure. Turn me, bitch. You know? Yeah. yeah. Well, no, I've never actually had sex with a woman, so, you know. It, well, pretty, it seems gross. So, so, ew. You know? But, I mean, to, I her, like to her point, I mean, how many guys – Especially in college, like meet some hot lesbian and be like, oh, I could turn her. Right. Dude, I, for probably three years, anytime I met a lesbian, I would offer to wear multiple colored condoms and pretend it was a dildo. And it's just like, what, what, what are you doing, bud? <laughs> I look back on young me and just like, God, you horny retard. Oh, yeah. Or just be like, <laughs> like you know, I was in this like really weird like naked motorcycle accident. So now it kind of looks like a bad dragon dildo. You know, yeah. if you're interested. But. I don't know what you're into, but... <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so we met at the Super Bowl party. That was a blast. Um, you did your Giggle Boys podcast. That was fun. Now you're doing your own, right? I am, yeah. Uh, so we had Giggle Boys, and then uh, it kind of reached its end, and we... Um, it, yeah, it's, yeah, without you know, getting too into it, we got let go from the network for some rules that we broke. Um, but I was invited back, fortunately. And also, it's you know, it's been nice because Giggle Boys started as me and Eli moved from L.A. to Austin around the same time. And so the premise of it was like, let's just talk about two guys trying to make it in the Austin comedy scene as 
Rogan's moving here, Hinchcliffe's moving here, Segura's moving here, all these fucking A-list, heavy hitter, Netflix-level comedians. So we'll just talk about the, you know, the up-and-coming part of that. And uh, we put out 60-something episodes. It was really cool. But now this one's a little more true to me, and it's just me getting high with comics and talking. Uh, It's highly social. Highly social, yeah. I was going to say plug the names. Highly social. uh, I like it, man. It's funny. And, uh, yeah, that's one thing I was going to ask. So you're not originally from Austin. So are you originally from California? I'm from Texas. I'm from North Texas, Dallas-Fort Worth area, a little town called South Lake uh, is where I hail from. I started comedy in Austin in 2018, and uh, the old Austin scene was interesting because it was very clicky, and a lot of comedy scenes are clicky, but Austin especially so, and it was like, I was doing mics every day, and I was going to you know Houston and San Antonio and doing mics and then getting on shows and doing well. And then I just couldn't get booked in Austin to save my life. I couldn't get on a fucking show anywhere. And so I, I had a, an offer from a guy that I was working with kind of part-time to come and work full-time in LA. And then another dude was like, I got a room you can rent. So I gave away most of my belongings to comics in the Austin scene that I was friends with, packed up a car and moved to LA sight unseen. And uh, I did that for two years. It was fucking amazing out there. A lot of people talk shit on LA. I fucking loved it. But then the pandemic hit, and it's just, that was a nightmare out there. They were so serious about everything, and we had shitty comics calling the cops on us for underground shows. I was like, fuck that. I'll just go back to Texas. Yeah, that is pretty shitty. I mean, I can see um, that's almost like the stereotypical L.A. mentality you hear about, right? Is like you have comics there. Instead of comedy being their thing, like making sure that they're politically correct and by California measures is more important. You know, they think they, it's such a fucking race to the bottom. Cause it's what can you get offended by and make that your personality? Oh yeah. Like, God, who, get, who gives a shit? dude? Yeah. And somebody calling the cops, a, a, a comedian calling cops on underground comedy. I mean, I mean, I don't know my, I made a drink before this and it's really strong, so I can't think of it, but there's some sort of like Nazi reference in there somewhere, you know? There's something, dude. I got Anne Frank so hard. Yeah. We're just trying to be quiet in an attic, and these fucking yeah. backstabbing Jews sold us out. Yeah, some, <laughs> some dickhead chewing Funyuns too loud, you know, got heard. It, dude, it, it, it was, I mean, it, it was also, like, pretty cool, because it was the only time comedy felt, like, dangerous. Mm-hmm. You know, like, people talk about that shit all the time, like, are you worried about getting canceled, or you can't say anything anymore? Dude, like, I, I have a joke I'm doing right now that part of it is I throat fuck an old lady in her stoma. And okay. and that's just such a graphic thing to say. And the premise is that I'm at an Alzheimer's memory care unit, and I'm just throat fucking an old lady, and I come and it comes out her nose. And saying that to people, they laugh and cheer and clap and are excited like it. That's, I mean, I can't think of a, like a worse thing to describe graphically to a group of people, and they love it. So, you know, like that whole cancel shit's retarded. But during the pandemic, when people were reporting shows, I did one uh, in Downey, California, that was in like an Asian strip mall. So, like, no English letters anywhere. The guy comes and gets me and the other comics for the show, and we walk through a bunch of like nail salons and like through, like, and this is after hours of their clothes. And then we walk through a kitchen and then back through a bar. And then we come out into like a, a showroom with 80 people 
and a bunch of fucking just like it, it was like a speakeasy, like a real true underground speakeasy mm-hmm. doing a comedy show. And I was like, this is fucking sick. Yeah. <laughs> that was Christop- that was cool. Christopher Walken's in the corner at a table wearing a headband, just spinning the barrel on a revolver. <laughs> you know, yeah, one yeah. guy cutting a finger off in the back. Yeah, gotta love it. It was, and like the show ended, and then like a biker gang took over. And they let, like, they picked a couple of us, and they're like, you guys can stay. Everyone else got to go. <laughs> I was like, that's fucking cool. Yeah, that's what you said. I'd be like, stay for what? Yeah, I don't, I don't give a shit. Let's have fun. I'll party with the gangs. Yeah, with the gangs. I want to do drugs. I had a guy offer me cocaine off a knife, which is the coolest way to offer it to someone is stick a giant fucking buoy knife huh. in their face with a line of, you want some? I mean, if I'm going to trust any cocaine nowadays and not have fentanyl in it, it's going to be from a biker off a knife. It, I will say it's the most nervous I've ever been because there's like that. I have intrusive thoughts all the time. So I like other a lot of social situations. My brain will just jump to what is the biggest faux pas that I can oh, make. Right. And when you're doing cocaine publicly, there's always the fear like you grab the straw and you sneeze and you just blow the line everywhere. You're like, there's not much worse that you can do. So now I'm sitting there, I got a knife in my face. It's like, if I sneeze now, I'm going to like scalp my lip. (laughs) Doing talk comedy with a hair lip, right? Yeah, right? Hey, well, you never know. Maybe that works, you know? Got to have an angle. I'm just a boring, fat, straight, white male. I don't have anything unique about me. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, now you're you're a comic in Austin. So, you know, you check that that basic bitch box as well, right? No shit. So so you're you're in L.A. You're doing, you know essentially underground Russian roulette with comedy. Yeah. During the pandemic. What, what made you decide to pack back up and go to Austin? So part of it was my wife at the time was living here and like, that was part of it. My mom lives here in Austin and the straw that broke the camel's back was I had a really awesome show lined up for a drive-in show in Burbank and they had sold 200 something tickets, which meant 200 car loads. Right. So, you know, at least 200 people, but probably four or 500, you know, in all these cars. And uh, the lineup's amazing. It's Jesus Trejo and Nicole Amy Schreiber and a couple other big name people. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm making some progress. It's not where I, what I wanted to be doing here. I wanted to be doing more shows like this every week, but you know, this is a show. This is fucking cool. And then two days before it got canceled uh, because they passed some new law that made it illegal to do that kind of gathering. And then I got a DM from a guy here in Austin that was like, hey, we'd love to have you on a show if you're going to be in town. I booked a flight. I came out here. I did a show at Zilker Park with like 300 people, not in cars, just people sitting in a park. And I, I heard real laughs from a real crowd. I was like, I'm fucking this. This is where I'm going. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to do these all the time. Fuck a car show. Fuck a getting canceled. Fuck wearing masks. I don't give any if I'm going to die from COVID, I'm going to die from COVID. I'm fat. I smoke. My lungs are probably wrecked. I should be dead. So if I'm not, and I'm risking it, like, let me risk it. Not for nothing. And uh, so that was just like, I'm going to go here. Yeah, man. Die, die doing what you love, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just like. Farley did it. Are you going to go, are you going the Farley route? <coughs> there you go. So. Yeah. I mean, it, I'm trying, you know, I'm trying. He was fucking great. And you know, what a, what a great memory. And like, the only bummer about Farley is the last year or so of his life, he looked like shit and all of his friends were worried about him. I'd rather go like the Patrice route where it's yeah. like a shocker when I die. It's like, yeah, we know the diabetes is bad, but like, Oh shit. He's out. He's gone. Yeah. No shit. Yeah, that sounds great. No shit. Speaking of Farley, I mean, is, um, is like, I know, I mean, until probably recently, 
like has SNL or anything like that ever been on your radar? Is that something you'd want to do? I, I mean, anybody that says they don't want to do that is just lying or is already famous. You know, it would be incredible. I have heard from several people who have been on it and from people I trust in the business that it is a grueling experience uh, and that it, it, while it, it you know helps your career quite a bit and is very good for visibility, just the actual like SNL part is just fucking really difficult and a lot of work. Um, I would be, of course, ecstatic to be a part of it, but I, I don't think that my brand of comedy fits with them. You know, like I, my favorite jokes are all about sex and drugs and you know crazy shit and things that you wouldn't ever say on TV. I don't have five minutes that I could do on TV. You know, it's so it's I just, I'd love to, but it's kind of like corporate gigs. It's not really my wheelhouse. I'm a, a comedy club comedian and you put me in front of a group of people and you don't give me any rules and I'm going to make them laugh. But you start putting constraints on that and I, I'm not talented enough yet to do it. Right. Well, I mean, Bob Saget did full house. <laughs> true. True. I, I mean, that's the thing. If, if I reach a place where, uh, if, if they called me, of course, I would figure out a way to make it happen. I just, um, the comedy that I want to be doing is uh, stand up. Like, I, I can do sketch stuff, and I've done some acting, and I've done some you know, writing, but what I really, really enjoy is just having a microphone and talking to a crowd. Yeah. Yeah. So, what, um, I guess, what, what created that spark to do stand up? Like, did you, was it something you wanted to like? You always thought like, oh, maybe I can do stand up, or was it like a like a uh, what you can, like you just fell into it, or like how did you get started? Man, so I uh, I grew up. I was a class clown, and people always thought I was funny. And you know, I, I had been hanging out with people, and I had a couple of like stories that people had always asked me to tell. Uh, and when I was a you know, new group of people, what I didn't realize I was doing was just like writing bits and I was doing punch up and adding tags and trying different ways of telling the story and, you know, adding new details. And, uh, you know, I've always liked taking creative freedom with, you know, what happened in a story. And it's like, you could say that you went to this party and it was really crazy, but you can also add some fun details in there and make it insane. If it's not hurt anybody and it's just for entertainment. And I did that, but I got into motivational speaking and I got into like the self-improvement world and I was super into it and I loved it. And, uh, but I liked the funny part of it. And then I went through a breakup in 2016 and me and a buddy decided to go sign up for an open mic in Dallas. And I went, and I signed up for it and I waited like five and a half, six hours and did like three minutes. And it was a fucking nightmare. <laughs> it's like, God, this fucking sucks. And, uh, I ended up having like a coworker that booked me to MC a gig. I bombed that terribly. I'm so unprepared. I'm like, man, I, I don't think I have it to be a comedian. And then I moved to Austin and Cap City, the comedy club here. Uh, they had an open mic you'd sign up for by email. And unlike most open mics, they sold tickets to the show to real civilians. So you'd have 50 to 80 human being audience members to do this open mic at. So it was, you know, it was like a show almost. And I did probably six or seven of those and was like calling myself a comedian and saying, I do stand up and tell my friends that I was into it. And then I went and I visited LA and I saw the comedy store and I saw real comedians. And I was like, Oh, what I've been doing is a farce. And I have a fucking 
kind of hobby that I've done a, a handful of times. Uh, and then May of 2018, I finally grew a pair and was like, I'm going to, I'm going to put everything in comedy. Let's see what I can do. I think I've got something. And so I started doing open mics and I've been grinding my ass off since. And it, it's just that when you tell a joke on stage and people laugh, I don't know that there is a single better feeling in the world. Oh, I get that. So, yeah. Yeah. I get that. And the class clowns like I've, when I was younger, I thought about it because I am a, mm-hmm. I, t- I typically like in conversation can be a pretty funny and witty guy. I've learned that like stand up is not where I'm funny. Like I've tried, mm-hmm. like even before trying it, I've got some people that I have some friends that do pretty decent with stand up and they're like, just try to do three minutes, right? Put something together for three minutes is funny for three minutes. I tried doing it. Like I can't get there, right? Like I'm a, I'm just a witty yeah. person. My humor comes from just wit. Um, yeah. It's hard, so I can't do it. But um, yeah, I know. Uh, actually, a, a, a listener, and uh, he's been on the show a couple times. Uh, a guy named Jake, the Wake and Bake podcast, or Wake and Jake podcast. He's in Austin right now, uh, hanging out. Yeah, with I just Bros. saw Jake last night. Yeah, he did. Uh, he, I guess, went up and did three minutes at the creek last night. After yeah, got him on the list. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought that was awesome, man. And I was talking to him this morning, and he. Uh, yeah, for one, he wasn't feeling real great this morning, but uh, he—he's—I've talked to him about his stand-up stuff, and he uh, occasionally he gets kind of like I don't know, I don't know. I was like, dude, you're doing it. Like that's what you got to do, right? Like I—I I don't know if you can probably name one comedian ever in history that was good the first fifty times they went up on stage, right? Nobody, dude. It, the context of it is so foreign. Even if you can get a laugh your first time on stage, it's not on purpose. It was an accident. You know, like right. you thought of something funny and you figured out how to say enough of the right words in a row. But I mean, just the, you know, when you talk to somebody in a conversation, I was, I was talking to Eli about this the other day. When you talk to normal people that are not comedians and you hear them tell a story as a comic, a lot of the times you're like, fucking get to the point, mm-hmm. dog, what are you doing? Cause they've never worked on like the editing that's right. required in comedy where it's like, Here's the important bits of the story. The rest of it doesn't fucking matter. Get the important shit out there to give the context and then get to the point of the story. And uh, just figuring that out on stage, how to give the right context, to have enough fat in it for there to be flavor, but not so much that they're bored. And like, it did, it's a lot. So yeah, I mean, you, you just have to keep doing it. it. Most comedians say that it takes 10 years to even get good at comedy. You know? Oh, so yeah. it's... Yeah, and you hear like I mean, you still hear like some of the like the the big guys now, like whether you like their brand of comedy or not, but like you'll hear um, like Segura, Burt Kreischer, all those guys like, oh yeah, I was trying out something new at some club in Denver and just bombed. I was like, man, if these guys bomb, like then I mean, it's not it's people can be I think with stand up, people can be naturally great stand ups, but it's not a it's not like you just go up there with no plan every mm-hmm. time and just kill an audience, right? Like there's a there's a formula, like it's a strategy. You have to go up there. It's a it's a job. It is. It is. My favorite Segura story and the one that brings me comfort because I, I have bombs now, but they're different than my original bomb. You know, when I first started, I would have four minutes of just fucking silence and me just like nervously sweating, trying to say things to make that better and it just getting worse, and you can feel the weight of the bomb, and you're just like, oh, God, it's so gross. 
now when I bomb, it's like, okay, that one didn't work. Let's try something that does work. Oh shit. That one didn't work here. I got to figure something out, you know, and then maybe you talk to the crowd or figure out what's going on. But you, you, now I have enough in my brain, enough memories of killing that it's like, I know I'm funny. I'm just not doing it right now. We got to figure out where the funny is, but Tom Segura recorded his special disgraceful for Mm -hmm. Netflix one of the best specials. It's fucking hilarious. It's very good. Very funny. All the jokes are amazing. The stories are great. He had already recorded it and was doing a festival in Canada where, because it wasn't out yet, he could still do the material. So he is following Donnell Rawlings and Donnell killed so hard that Segura went up with the disgraceful material and bombed so bad people were walking and they lit him early. Like they're like, Hey, this is, you got to get off the stage. This is going so bad. And that special is like five stars on Netflix, a thousand thumbs up. Like it's, it did very well and won awards and that same material that night bombed so bad. He got lit early, you know? So like, there's just, it's like football any given Sunday, man. Sometimes it's amazing. And sometimes it fucking sucks. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I think disgraceful. Wasn't that kind of the one that really launched him? Was that the one? uh... That was mostly stories. Where he's, talk, he's talking yeah. about watching, um, fuck, what's that show? Scared Straight. Is that the, is that the special? Yeah. yeah. Bikes, yeah. Hold yeah. my pocket. The fuck you stole. Hold my yeah. pocket. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that definitely launched his career. But yeah, I mean, yeah, so it just goes to show. I mean, you can't, it'd be like um, being a professional football player and never practicing and then going out to a game and just completely sucking and being like, well, I'm a professional football player. How do I suck? Like, we, it's not yeah. like you have to work on this. Right. So like how, yeah. Or I mean, it's like fucking, you know, the chiefs, Mahomes is great and they're playing a fucking dog shit. I don't remember who they were playing last week, but they, Oh, the Colts, the Colts fucking suck. Come and on, the man. Colts, beat the Colts are my team. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Just, that's we're not doing too. good this year. We're not doing good this year, but, man. And it's fine to be a fan, but th- right now they're not good at football. It should have been, you know, 42-10 oh, Chiefs. Yeah. But they just came to play that day, and Mahomes, even though he's at the top of his game, didn't even throw a touchdown, you know? And so it's mm-hmm. like yeah, there's just sometimes shit's going to happen. The Chiefs are like that, though, man. They get like I don't know if it's just complacency or play calling. I don't know, but the, the Chiefs get – I was at the uh, – actually, Ross – Ross and Dan mm-hmm. sent me and my wife because I live in Des Moines, Iowa. So it's like a drive, just three hours to Kansas City. So uh, we drove down to the Bills Chiefs game last year for Sunday Night Football. Hell yeah. And even watching that, I was like, man, like the Chiefs just like, it looks like they don't even want to be here right now. Like, what are they doing? Like, I've seen plenty of pro football games. You can really tell them people are playing their hearts out. It's just like, there's no sharpness. Yeah, the Chiefs are a weird team. They got to figure something out if they're gonna. I mean, they could be a team of destiny. Like they've got the ingredients, but for some reason, man, they can't do it. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know. I, so I'm a Raiders fan, which I'm just sorry. sucks so bad. Yeah, dude. It's. Yeah, I. I mean, I. I wish I could not be, but I love them. And those fucking. Hey, trust me, I wish I wasn't retards. a Colts fan right now. But you know. <laughs> yeah, man. They're man. Fucking Raiders suck shit, but. But I mean, so they're in the AFC West with the Chiefs. So I've you know I've grown up watching, and there have been games where like out of nowhere they just come and skunked us, yeah. and then there have been times where we just 
dog fucked him. So you know, it's, it's yeah. you never know. Well, it's your any given Sunday reference. At least the at least the uh, yeah. the Raiders moved to a cool town to go see a football game. Dude, and that new stadium is gorgeous. Yeah, I haven't been inside. Last time I was in Vegas, they had just finished the stadium, and we drove past it on what's that fifteen or whatever that goes behind the strip, and I was like, "That is the yeah. most insane, beautiful like stadium I've ever seen." Like that, and I was just in Minneapolis a couple weeks ago with Jack Mandeville and some yeah. and drinking bros, and uh, the the U.S. Bank Stadium there is pretty awesome as far as like. I've been inside that one. Like, this is awesome. But the Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, you look at that thing, you're like, I don't know. It's like a cross between, like, Darth Vader and that weird chrome bean that's in uh, Chicago, you know? It feels like the evil brother of the Cowboys Stadium. It might be. Maybe that's why they designed it. Somebody's like, I want, like, Jerry Jones is kind of this, like, very, uh, I don't know, like in your face, flashy Texas dude. Whereas the owner of uh, the Raiders, what's his name? Uh, I can see his terrible fucking haircut yeah. right now. Yeah. So you got Jerry Jones that owns the Cowboys, oh, and you shit. have that Mark Davis. Yeah. You got Mark Davis, who literally, I'm pretty sure, lets his kids cut his hair or his grandkids at this point. He's like, I want the opposite of what Jerry Jones has. I want it to be more yeah. expensive, but I want the opposite, you know? Right. But it works. Opposite. I'd love to go even, you know, even if it's a team I'm not interested in, I would love to go just like tailgate a game in Vegas. Cause you know, everybody's going to be like going nuts. There's going to be so many people yeah. at that tailgate that had like a good night at the tables the night before just going crazy. So, right. Dude, the tickets are fucking insane. Expensive that's why. Too. That's why. Yeah. It's because they're now like somebody is here. Just like, and we'll have a good night and be like, fuck it. Like, I won two grand last night. What's 1500 bucks for four tickets? You know? Nobody lives in fucking Vegas. You know, like, everybody's just there for a work conference or fucking, you know, their party weekend. Like, it's yeah. the perfect storm of a just a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. I will say, I was proven wrong about Vegas being a sports town. Uh, mm-hmm. Probably, when was that? 2018. It was, it was the February after the shooting. The shooting was in like November. I was there that February, and the Golden Knights had just got there, and I was like, Vegas isn't a sports town. I thought like going. I was like, who the fuck? Like people in Vegas don't give a fuck about sports, right? They're they're there to work and entertainment, and uh, they're all transplants. You know, like there's no native Las Vegas people. And, right. Uh, I just got one. I was there for work. And uh, I like Fremont a lot, so I went down to Fremont. I was staying. I was actually staying at uh, Mandalay Bay. Nice. Which was, and my view from my room was the concert grounds. Yeah. So I was like, this is fucking eerie. I mean, it was a couple months yeah. afterwards. And I was you're walking. I was walking through that hotel, and like all the people working there all kind of have the same like air about them. Like, hey, like we know, just like, let's not talk about it. And everybody staying yeah. there was walking around like, Hey, we all know, let's not talk about it. You know, but yeah. Um, sorry, my kids. Yes. Buddy, go. Oh man. I moved my, I moved my studio down to the basement. I put my kid on the top floor. He still comes down. Kids, man. Snack machines. Oh shit. He, oh, he came down here to ask me. He wants snacks, and he wants his Nintendo Switch. 
amazing. You know, Minecraft. Well, I mean, I guess, you know, better than like watching Blippy or something. But anyway, yeah, for so, sure. so I was in a, I went down to Fremont. I was in a cigar bar, I think in the Golden Nugget. And uh, the Golden Sorry, Nugget. Sorry, I got someone trying to call me with me. Get him on. What are they doing? No, it's my boss. All right. All good. Sorry about that. Oh, no worries, man. No worries. Your boss, I thought you might have been a kite. No, no. I, I just had lunch with him, though. <laughs> yeah. So, but I'm in this cigar bar on Fremont Street, and uh, the Golden Nuggets or the Golden Knights are playing. And next thing you know, like, I just spark up a conversation with like, a bunch of people at the bar with me, and they're all locals. They just had gotten off of their shifts. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah, like we work here. We just got off. We want to watch the game. And then, like, throughout the night, I realized, like, oh, like everybody in this bar on Fremont Street are locals that work here but want to watch the game. Which yeah. Is, which is why now, like, I'd, I'd played a little bit of hockey growing up. And, uh, but I kind of like, by the time I was a teenager, I was uninterested in hockey. And then uh, after that night, I've been a Golden Knights fan because, like, man, Hell yeah. That one night, I was like, the locals love it. I don't know if they're going to get behind the Raiders quite as passionately, but you never know. We'll see. You never it's, know. Uh, it's a good matchup with all the fucking delinquents and junkies, derelicts that live there, and then the team of them. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, and then you know, you get a, you're 22 years old and a star, uh, star wide receiver, and you run your Corvette into the back of somebody's uh, RAV4. And ruin your yeah. life, right? <clears throat> yeah, it's gonna be. I can't wait for all the stories to come out. <laughs> all well, this just fucking insanity. Yeah, Who's that? Henry Ruggs, right? They're like star yeah. receiver. Man, that, pff, what an awful story! Just on on all ends of that, just terrible. Like no shit. For one, like just some lady trying to like live her life. Her and her dog burnt up in a car. And you got this kid. I mean, a kid. What was he like? Twenty one. Like yeah, just fucked up out of his mind doing one hundred and forty in a residential neighborhood outside of Las Vegas and hits this person, like they're going to throw the book at that dude because no shit. Cause that's exactly that is exactly what people were worried about bringing an NFL team to Las Vegas. Right. Yep. So and then it happened right away. Happened immediately. So we'll see. But uh, I mean, speaking of that, you know, uh, I don't know if you've heard the news by now. I'm sure you have, but uh, RIP Coolio. Yeah, rest in Gangster's Paradise, dude. He's, yeah, the pearly gates of, of Gangster's Paradise have opened up to him. Yeah. Are you going to... Uh, I think his, his hair is finally good. It's just fucking falling out, man. That I I, I guess it's sad. I don't know. He had one song. I, I don't give a shit. It's, I don't even like the song that much. The Keenan and Kyle um, theme song? Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, no, it's just like... It, I mean, I, I'm a bad person about celebrities dying because I just never give a shit. Right, it's like whatever. But I'm also like, I fucking hate old shit, man. I don't think any movie made before 1980, with the exception of The Jerk, is any good. Yeah. I don't. I don't think the Beatles make good music. Mm-hmm. You know, I it's, I get it. I get it. No, oh, I, I agree just, with you. The weird thing is, so my dad was from East London, and I grew up listening uh-huh. to the Beatles. And uh, like, so my dad passed away on Father's Day this year. Thanks, Dad. I've brought Damn. that up a lot, but. uh yeah, I, I'm now finally able to openly say, like, the Beatles, overrated. Every song on the Across the Universe soundtrack is better than the original. 
I I got into oh, this yeah. argument with someone the other night, and I said that Joe Cocker makes John Lennon sound like Yoko Ono, and I, they, they wanted to fist fight me, but, but it's like, ah, come on. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I have, speaking of Vegas, I have seen the Beatles love Cirque du Soleil show three times. Pretty dope. Oh, it's awesome. And maybe like, again, I'm not a, I'm not going to sit here and like shit on the Beatles music and say like it's garbage, but it's, I think it's overrated. But growing up listening to it a lot and then seeing it put to that kind of acrobatics, I'm like, this shit's dope. You know? Yeah. I mean, Cirque du Soleil is great. It's, yeah. uh, they, they can make anything work. Um, yeah, I, I haven't been to one in a while, but they're they're so much fun. Uh, yeah, I, I fucking don't do anything but comedy anymore. <laughs> you know, right. I, I I forget to go and do life shit. Right. Yeah. So, but again, you know, R.I.P. Coolio. You know, make sure you say yeah. your, make sure you say your prayers in the street lights tonight. Pour one out for the yeah. homie, and uh, yeah, you know, cheers to his fantastic voyage. Yeah. Right. So, uh, you just released a special on YouTube. I did. You did. So where did you shoot that? Uh, that was at the ballroom at Spider House here in Austin. Um, it, it was pretty cool. So these guys came here uh, from Florida, and they started a club called the Sunset Strip. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had been doing shows at one venue, and then they started doing it at another one. But they're, like, they're really doing it the right way. They take care of comics. They pay well, they fly in great talent, they connect people, they party, they facilitate the parties. Like, it's, they're great. I could not speak higher of them. They decided that they wanted to showcase some of the up-and-coming talent here in Austin because there's a lot of people right now that are just fucking killing it. Like, we have so many people in this town that are doing well. And so myself, Adam Lucky, and Heather Shaw, all recorded 20-minute specials. I went last, and I ended up doing 27, 28, somewhere in there, so that's what mine is. But uh, Adam's a fucking monster. He moved down here from Seattle and has you know, done just a ton. Of, he runs the best show in town, Filthy. So he's got a great fucking special. Heather Shaw is just a beast. Uh, she came here from Florida, and she's you know blowing up on social media, and then I'm here back from L.A. So it was like, you know, three people that have moved from other scenes and are doing really well here. And so we recorded our specials together that night and, uh, dude, one shot, one kill. I mean, we had one night of recording. We all nailed it first try and mine was the first one to come out and it's doing pretty well. People, I've gotten some really positive feedback on it. So I'm, I'm happy about it. Nice. Yeah. It's on your, uh, your YouTube page, correct? Yeah. Mike Eaton, E-A-T-O-N. That's on my YouTube. Yeah. I went on there. I actually watched it today. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, it's funny. For one, for somebody who has spent a lot of time uh, through work traveling through airports, like, hilarious. You got a lot of airport comedy on there, you know? So, (laughs) fucking hilarious. And uh, I did notice your highest viewed show on your clip on your YouTube channel is something Mm -hmm. about your dog. You have like three and a half million or three and a half million clips. Bro, that is the funniest thing. So literally 10, 12 years ago, uh, a friend of mine who uh, like I knew through like a charity thing that we worked together in sends me a video and she says, hey, I'm not like really techie. Can you upload this to YouTube? I think it's really funny. And it's her dog uh, has chewed on her glasses 
And then she goes with the broken glasses, like, Rooney, did you do this? And it's a three-legged dog. And then it, like, cripple walks itself and puts itself in the cage in timeout. And it's just super cute. But I upload it. I put, like, a tag on there, like, guilty dogs, dogs, cute dogs, whatever. But literally, fucking 12 years ago. And it blows up and gets, like, in the first day, like, two and a half million views. And so then I get an email from some company that's like, hey, we want to use this on the news. We'll pay you for the rights to it. And I was like, well, it's not even my video. So I connect them with my friend. So some lady like paid her 800 bucks for the rights to this video. And it just sits on my channel and just keeps getting views. And like, I mean, still to this day, people comment shit on it. Like, why are you being mean to that dog? And it's like, <laughs> dude, look, this was filmed on like a Motorola Razor dog. Look at the video yeah. quality. Like, yeah. But yeah, that's my most viewed one. And then my second most viewed thing has like 22,000 views and it's a clip from the special where I talked about gay jokes. Yeah. yeah, right. But uh, yeah, I just, I found that funny. So I was like, of course, right, right. of course, like uh, a working stand-up comic is going to get upstaged by a dog with a guilty face. Yeah, a three-legged dog from a decade ago. Oh, like, I think that dog's dead now. Like that's so fucked up. It's still outshining me. You'll never beat a three-legged dog. I mean, at least not on the internet physically. I mean, to beat the shit out of it, but you know, dude, I will Michael Vick that puppy in real life. Fuck, it's that. got three legs. It's useless. You just drown yeah. it at that point. You know, <laughs> I'll kick it in the fucking stump. Especially after yeah. it chews up your, especially after it chews up your glasses. Like, I don't know what right? I don't know what your eye care insurance is like, but mine's not great. Those glasses are a pain in the ass. No shit. Yeah, and then I got to talk to an optometrist again. Dude, I got high as a fucking kite and went to my eye doctor. And they have an, a thing. I don't know how new it is, but it was new to me. But you, they like they hold your eye open with these little calipers, and then they shoot air into it. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh yeah. And I've I've had the normal air one, but they this one did it like a bunch. And then on a big screen in front of me, it makes a three D map of my entire eyeball, so you can see like in real time like where all the blood is going through the eye and stuff. But so I asked the guy, I was like, you know, my eyes okay. I have a slight astigmatism. You know, it's not really getting worse or anything. So that's good, right? Um, and then I was just joking. I was like, hey, you know, uh, I'm probably pretty good on glaucoma, right? <laughs> like, I, I bet I don't have that. And he explained that the reason that smoking weed is prescribed for glaucoma is because while you're actually smoking, like the fire of like using fire to burn flour, the cannabinoids that get incinerated that way cause a decrease in pressure inside of your eyeballs. So it lowers the pressure, which it re- gives relief from the glaucoma that's up the pressure by having this chunky tissue on it. So I was like, oh, that's fascinating. So I'm, I'm good. And he's like, well, for like management, you'd have to be smoking like a lot, like several times a day. And I was like, look at it. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, pretty low pressure. <laughs> low pressure. Like, cool. <laughs> So yeah, low eye pressure, high blood pressure, dog. I'm killing it. <laughs> so speaking of that, I mean, where does like getting high come in with your comedy? Like, do you do you get high before going and doing sets? Do you get high and write? Do you like to do that kind of stuff sober? Uh, all of it. I do all of it high. Um, I so I smoke weed as a uh, like. It sounds stupid, but it's really like medicinal in the way that I use it. I have terrible ADHD, like just. I have no executive functioning center whatsoever. And then on top of that, like I get pretty grumpy and I have pretty bad anxiety. So if I smoke, 
the anxiety chills, the the erratic thoughts from the ADHD kind of subside, and I can get a little like I can grab a thought and hold on to it a little bit longer. Uh, so I smoke pretty frequently, but I don't like rip fat bowls to just get blasted. Like I'm not like all day. I'm just like a little high all the time, and uh, it helps me with comedy quite a bit because I can I have the I mean the ADD mixed with the weed like really works because sometimes i'll grab a thought but then it's like all the shit that i'm not grabbing i realize that it's there and that can create for some pretty funny similes and parallels i mean that, that's where comedy comes from it's just it's right. you're saying the unexpected and there's paths and links that happen in my brain whether it's from my brain or weed or add or what it's there's things that you wouldn't connections you wouldn't normally make that happen uh and so it i like it a lot um, I've done all of it sober. I've done, I've written sober. I've performed sober. I've done it without it. I just prefer it with just a little buzz, but mm-hmm. it's also to the point where it's like, if I didn't hit something before going on stage, I don't really notice, you know, it's right. like a huge deal. Right. It's probably about like me. Like I'll do a granite. When I first started this show, I, by the time I got done, I'd be blacked out mainly because sometimes I don't even start the show until like 8 PM. And by then, yeah. like, I've been dealing with my kids for like four hours, just like phew, vodka LaCroix, get me through this. And I get somebody yeah. on, I'm like, ooh, by the end of this, like, yeah, we're going to wrap this up. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm seeing three of these cameras, and it's a one-camera show. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I get it. Like, it, you know. But like, I, mean, I, I won't perform drunk. I, like, I won't perform, um, like, most, I won't do anything that will take away from my baseline mentality. I'm right. not going to do Xanax. I'm not going to do Coke. I'm not going to do any, you know, any of the hallucinogens are way off limits. Like just anything that would change my brain chemistry from the way that I'm used to it working. Right. But a little bit of weed or not a little bit of weed is fine. Cause that's just a baseline brain thing for me. But I'm also like, I wouldn't eat. I, edibles don't really work on me. I have a very high tolerance. So for me to feel them, I got to eat about 150, 200 milligrams. I won't do that before I go on stage like that. You know, I, I that's just a different kind of high. Right. That's too much. So, like, I don't ever want it to interfere. I take it very seriously. Like, I know it sounds kind of flippant, like I'm high or not high, but like, I, I w- will not get on stage if I've got too much stuff in me. But, and like, I'll make sure right. I get open mics and shit. But right, what's the uh, like? What's the wildest shit you've seen like in a green room? Oh, I mean. So one time I was at a show in Houston at the secret group. There's a room in the back called the box, which is fucking amazing. I had a DMT pen at the time, which, I mean, it looks just like a weed pen, but the cartridge is full of DMT. Uh And those last about 20 minutes, like the trip on it from like when you hit it to like blasting off to the effects of worn off and you're back to being human is about 20, 25 minutes. Uh, and I was about to go on stage, and my buddy, I won't say his name just to protect it, but my buddy was about to go up after me, and I was doing 15. Uh, and he was like, I got enough time, right? And I was like, yeah, you got a little bit. And so he took a fat couple of rips off the DMT vape and then just closed his eyes in the green room and just blasted off into space. And then while he's coming down, he gets called out on stage. <laughs> How'd that go for him? He's great. He's a very funny guy and he handled it very well. And it's, you know, that's one thing is like people that are kind of that flippant about drugs. I always trust them with their drugs because they do it enough that they're that flippant right. about it. So it's like he was fine smoking DMT in a green room because he's done it enough. I've done it before like open mics. I had an open mic I went to in Burbank at the Empire Tavern 
me and my buddy went to sign up at 5.30. The show doesn't start till 7. So we go out to my car, and we're just blasting off back and forth. Uh, and then I, I guess we like lost track of time, and we go back inside. And as I'm walking inside, everything's still all kind of tingly and like, ah, and then I had to get up on stage. That went fine, but it was just like, hello, reality. <laughs> right. Yeah. I guess the one you got to worry about is like, there's some comic back there just like, you know, like I've done cocaine a couple of times, but fuck it. Let's try it. Like right before I go on stage, right? That's the one you're like, oh shit. Like this might not yeah, work out no. for you. <laughs> right. Makes sense. So you got your special out on YouTube. Um, Kind of a big thing for you, I was imagine is a uh, you opened up for Louis C.K. in Austin, right? Yeah, that was really cool. That was um, my favorite thing about that. So I had reached out to the owners of the club. Uh, I didn't notice that he was coming to town. I didn't see the dates. I just I don't follow like who's coming to town mm-hmm. at the clubs because I'm performing at them. So like I'll see if it's somebody good or you know if it's exciting, I'll hear about it. And then I hear Louis coming, so I reach out to the owners and I was like, hey can I work as like a bar back or like wash dishes or something? The tickets are already sold out, but I have to be in the room. I have wanted to see Louis CK live for as long as I can remember. And I had tickets to see him like three different times and all three shows got canceled and then he got canceled. So I've never gotten to see him live. So I was like, please just let me wash dishes. And they were like, hey, we'll make sure you're there. And then they reached out and they're like, Hey, would you like to host for him? And I was like, get the fuck out. So it was super cool. It was very nerve wracking. It was exciting, but so First show is like a 7 p.m. show. I get there at like 6.15. I'm sitting in the green room uh, with the feature, Ariel Isaac Norman. Uh, and then Louie walks in. We say hello. We're talking for a minute. And then he's being very cordial. He's getting to know us. And he asks Ariel what she does besides comedy. And she says, well, right now I, I'm working on my sister's book. It's about lesbian mermaids. And Louie is like, huh, interesting. Okay. And I was like, man, that has to be the smelliest pussy, right? Mm-hmm. Thinking I'm being funny. It bombs. They, both of them are like, what? And I'm like, oh, that sucks. You know, all right, whatever. And then Lily goes, where would a mermaid pussy even be? And so then the three of us are like kind of like spitballing about where a mermaid pussy would be. And then the door to the green room opens up and Joe Rogan, Tony Hinchcliffe, and then the two guys that were on Joe's podcast that day all walk into the green room. And I'm like, oh, holy shit. Hello. And like, I've met Tony a few times. And so he recognized me and hello, Mike, you know, so that was cool. And then he introduces me to Joe. This is amazing. I'm blown away. And then we all kind of settle and sit back down. And then after like a beat of silence, Louie looks over to Joe and goes, Hey Joe, where do you think a mermaid's pussy would be? (laughs) And then Joe doesn't even miss a beat. He goes, well, fish, uh, you know, the, the girl fish lay the eggs and then the male fish go and put their semen on top of the eggs. So they don't even really have like a fuck hole. So I don't even know that a mermaid would like even necessarily have a pussy. Right. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's just like being on his fucking podcast. Right. It's just never off. It was incredible. So it was a really cool experience and getting to watch him. Uh, I sat side stage in between the green room and the stage. And it was just me sitting there getting to watch Louie. Uh, pretty fucking cool. And that was that. What, uh, what club was that? Was that the Creek? That was at Creek. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, Louis came in town. Uh, he's got a new movie, Fourth of July, that he did with Joe List, and the two of them were in town. But Joe was at uh, Mark Norman's bachelor party, so Joe mm-hmm. wasn't going to be able to be there to feast, feature and host for the first night's show. So they let a couple locals do it. So we got, and it's also you know Louis does theaters and arenas and like you know three, five, seven thousand people, and this is two hundred people in like an intimate comedy club setting. And it was just like, what a fucking dream to even get to watch. 
much less be a part of. Yeah, did he uh, did he work the crowd at all? Did he do crowd work? Not really. He, he, no, he doesn't do a bunch of crowd work. Um, he's running a new hour, and this was his first time doing the hour in not an arena setting. It was really cool because before the show, he was like, uh, talking about how he was nervous. And he goes, I, I'm you know, I'm nervous to see how this goes. And I was like, oh, you're nervous? Motherfucker, right. I got to open for you, bitch. Like, what are you talking about? Right. But he's like, you know, it's good to be nervous. You know, it means you're still excited. But he was, you know, talking about he's been doing just arenas and tours, so you got to go back to clubs because they keep you honest. You can't use just, like, the presence of you being there to, to skate by and coast. you got to go and make people actually fucking laugh. And between the first and the second show, he probably changed 50 little things and just the ordering of words and little tags and the way that he uses inflection on stuff. I mean, he's truly a fucking master and getting to watch the way that he does that was just, I mean, it's a master. I, my first set was probably like a six or seven out of 10. And my second was like an eight and a half or a nine and it got a little bit better. And so I, I got off stage after the first one. I was like, that was pretty good. I got like an applause break. I got like a you know, really big pop on one of my punchlines. I'm fucking stoked about it. And then I go and watch him, and it was like, my 10 would be like a 2 for him. Right. Just yeah. the way that he fucking builds on laughter. And you you hear a premise and start laughing, and then you get to the fucking setup, and you're laughing your ass off. And then by the time you hit the punchline, you almost can't breathe because you've been laughing for 45 seconds. And it's just like, how do you – It's, it's just, he's just so good. It's wild. Yeah. And then you said he, uh, he introduced you – to to Joe Rogan, like, does that really like? Was it like, hey, this is Joe Rogan, and you're like, yeah, I know. Like, it's so funny because like I've started to get to a place where I meet people, and I was talking about this actually with Jonathan Kite recently. Um, it was Kite's birthday not too long ago, and uh, I saw uh, someone had wished him a happy birthday on Instagram, and then I I texted him. I was like, is today your birthday or is it tomorrow? And then I realized, oh, I can just Google it. He's a fucking celebrity. Right. His birthday is online, readily available information. <laughs> it's like, why are you texting this guy? You can fucking Google it. But it's the same thing with Joe. It's like you meet him and it's like, dude, I've heard your voice for hundreds, hundreds of hours. It is wild that the podcast guy is in front of me right now. Yeah. I bet it's got to be fucking insane. The, uh, his hands are so strong. Oh, <laughs> I tell. shook his hand and it was just like, Jesus Christ, man. I, I'm a big dude. I have big hands. I wear like a size 13 ring. I do a lot of grip strength exercises. So I, you know, like normally my handshake is like very, I'm a Southern guy. I got a strong handshake. So I went in with a like, hey, I'm a man, respect me handshake. And it was just like, he was just like, hello, I'm shaking your hand. Fucking monkey grips, dude. Oh, like, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine a, uh, a handshake from Joe Rogan has the potential to like just break a weaker man's fingers, right? For sure. I felt proud that I didn't break anything. I was like, yeah. That's cool. I mean, it's actually like, uh, I think you even brought it up uh, maybe a couple of days after that. You got up on with Ross at, drink, at the Drinking Bros studio and we're talking about that. And uh, probably one of the biggest appeals about Joe Rogan, who is the father of all podcasts, right? Like, if, mm-hmm. you're doing, if you're doing a podcast and you're not just like a pretentious asshole or something, like, odds are like Joe Rogan is the person you're looking at like, what the fuck is this guy doing? You know, right? Um, but it's really cool to see like him being that famous and that influential is still just who he is, right? Like he just he walks into a room, he meets this a local comic like you, and he's like, "Oh, hey, what's going on, man?" Not like, "Oh, I'm Joe Rogan." Like, who's this guy? Like, it, it, and it's his humility is incredible. 
if you go and watch the Protect Our Parks episode five, it's when he has Ari Shafir, Shane Gillis, Mark Norman on the pod, and they call it that on his. But if you listen to them talk, they give him props for that, and they talk about it. But it, it's really interesting to see how – I mean, Shane Gillis is probably the funniest guy in America right now. Like, that dude on stage, I, I don't know that there's a single person I think that yeah, he couldn't just bury, you know? He's so fucking good. But just to see, like, and Norman is at that level, and fucking Ari's at that level. I mean, they're murderers. And still just the amount of respect that they have for Joe – and Joe's just like, no, you guys are my friends. We're all equals. What are you talking about? Right. It's like, dog, you have you have the the history making podcast contract yeah. from a streaming service. Like, we're not all the same. Yeah. And he still just is that that guy. It's fucking yeah. sick. Yeah, he's the white Oprah. Yeah. You know, very much. Like he is one of the most influential people on the planet. You know. Yeah. So that's cool. So you got you opened up with Louie. You got the shout out on Rogan a couple of days later. What was that like oh, waking so, up to? So the Rogan shout out uh, is fake. I I put. Oh, you fooled the, me. Like, I, God damn I know. It. I, know I, I put it in the comments and I posted it on the story and I was like, hey, I made this. This is they were talking about. Um, fuck. Oh, they were talking about like if you made a Disney movie uh, and made it more accurate where like, you know, the, the deer gets fucking killed and eaten. Oh. And so they kept saying, like, I want to remake it where, like, the deer gets fucking eaten. And so then I clipped it, and it was like, get eaten, get fucking eaten, get eaten. And then, you, like, you an hour later, that. they're talking about Joe List's new special on YouTube. Oh. And so then he's like, he's got two specials on YouTube. They're great. And I, you know, edit and put my face over there, like, over Joe List's face. I thought that it would be, like, obvious enough that people would see it and be like, oh, ha, 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 good promo, Mike. But a bunch of people are like, dude, congratulations on the Rogan shout out. They're like, no, 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 Stolen Valor. It was a joke. You guys, come on. Look at me. I'm a retard. All right. Well, let it be known that Mike Eaton's a fucking liar. And, uh, well, cool, man. But so before we wrap up, you've been touring a bit with, uh, with Kite, right? How's that been? Dude, it's awesome. We just got back from, uh, Batavia, Illinois. It's a suburb of Chicago. Uh, we got to perform in the Comedy Vault. Man, fucking shout out to the Comedy Vault. It is. It was the Batavia First National Bank, and then they bought it and turned it into a comedy club. So there's like the fucking bar is like the old bank vault, and yeah. like it has the big vault door on it. it. It's just a great place. The crowds were awesome. The owner and the manager are fucking the nicest people ever. Uh, it it's really cool to watch uh, Kite work too because he also. Like he works really hard and he's very specific about what he works on. And so it, it's cool to see the way he changes his hour. Cause we did five shows and he did five different hours. Um, you know, there were some of the same jokes in there, but all five of them were uh, different ordered and different words and some jokes on one and different jokes on another. So it's just cool to see uh, like that level of work from him. And then, you know, we come back here and then we had a bunch of shows here together and also they're just local shows. And he's using those to work on stuff that he couldn't work on there. It's like, man, that's fucking dope. So I, I love touring with them. Um, we are doing Austin together in uh, December. He's doing a headlining weekend, uh, December here. And then my next road date is I'm going to be on Skankfest. So super fucking stoked about that. That is probably the biggest comedy festival in the country. Uh, and this year it's going to be in Vegas. Ooh, nice. And I mean... Bert Kreiser, Luis J. Gomez, Big J. Okerson, Tony Hinchcliffe, Polly Shore, 
fucking H Foley and the Are You Garbage guys. I mean, it's fucking uh, Ari, Shane, all them. I mean, it's going to be fucking monstrous. Yeah, what uh, what's the dates on that? That is October, I think, 13th through 16th. Oh, so coming up soon, a couple weeks. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, man. That sounds like an incredible opportunity. You going to hit up a Raiders game while you're there? No, but I think um, if everything goes well, December 5th, I will be performing at a Raiders tailgate. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Actually, I think the Raiders are in Kansas City that weekend because I looked at going down there to tailgate that one. Oh, hell yeah. But cool, man. Well, we'll wrap this up. I'll let you go. I know you got uh, probably want to get ready for your your three shows around Austin tonight. But, uh, dude, thanks again for coming on. I know you've been super busy. Well, thank you so much for having me, man. This was a blast. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I know, like, once I, I posted out today that uh, you're coming on, like a bunch of people that follow me were like, oh, hell yeah, a bunch of, uh, a lot of people saying uh, they love you on Kill Tony. Oh, hell yeah. So they wanted to, I, uh, they wanted to let I got you up know. on the episode with uh, Akash Singh, and then I also got up on the one with Theo Vaughn, and they were both super fucking cool guys. So Dude, that Theo. Was, it was a good time. Theo's one of those guys, and again, we need to wrap this up, but He's one of those guys, like, I don't know what it is with him. Almost like for me, so for me, Theo and Burt Kreischer, I'm not huge on their stand-up, but uh-huh. them conversationally, I think I find them to be hilarious. Like Theo is just, I bring it up all the time. Theo had like this one thing one time, and I think it might have been on Rogan. He's like out of nowhere. He's like, yeah, my uncle got bit by a gay guy. So like, I guess we'll see. You know, yeah. it's like, like who the fuck thinks of that shit? Dio is such an interesting person. So the first time I saw or even heard of him, I saw his Netflix special and I was like, oh, this guy sucks. He's just doing a country accent. Fucking lame. I'm out. I don't need another Larry the Cable guy. Right. So I, I discount him. I don't think he's very funny. And then a comic, I don't even remember what it was, but it was a comic I respected that I met somewhere. And they said that Theo was their favorite comic. And I was like, what? What? And then they turned me on. He's got an album. I think it's still on Spotify. It's like a 22 or 23 minute album. It's called 30 pound bag of hamster bones. And it, the, the story is a lady in his town got arrested with a 30 pound bag of hamster bones. And it's like, well, that just, the sentence is insane. And he just tells these two stories in it. And it's 10 out of 10. It's one of the funniest. Things. It's, it's in my top 10 specials of all time and it's not even an hour, but it's so fucking good. And then he records this new Netflix special and I'm excited for it. And it fucking sucked. It's just like something about when he's got these big crowds and the Netflix cameras on, it just doesn't translate to Theo. I got to perform with him at supernova in LA and he got up on stage and two minutes into a joke, his phone like buzzes and he picks it up and he goes, Oh man, I just got an alert. The Falcon just died. But this app on my phone tells me every time a falcon died, it was just unreal fucking hilarious. I mean, his delivery and it's just perfect saying nothing. So like, he's one of those guys like Joey Diaz. You got to be there and see him. Right. And, and then it translates and you go back and watch the special and you see like what it could have been. But God, he's so fucking funny and he just keeps getting a, a rough deal on these specials. But cool. that dude is a murderer. Yeah, for sure. So uh, before we get off here, let everybody know where they can find you. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm on Instagram. Mike is Eaton E A T O N, uh, and then specials on YouTube. But uh, the every all my podcasts, all my stand up clips, and all the shit go on 
YouTube and Instagram. So shoot me a follow. I'll be around. Yeah, for sure, man. So yeah, that's uh, Mike dot is Eaton on Instagram, but then it's, I think it's just Mike Eaton on YouTube, right? Yeah. Awesome. So, dude, once again, thanks for coming on. Uh, good luck tonight. You know, you got a big. I know you got a, a busy night tonight. And uh, yeah, again, thanks for coming on. Yeah. For everybody watching, you know the drill already. Like and subscribe on YouTube. Go on uh, iTunes, Spotify. Do all the rating. Leave a review. This has been the Neuter Nation. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Good night. Adios. Everybody out there, go run and tell your homeboys and homegirls it's time for Keenan and Kel. To keep you laughing in the afternoon, so don't touch that dial on read the room. Cause they always in the summer, no front and you don't want to miss it. It's double K like through the good greatness. Keenan and Kel, I should have said Kel and Keenan, and you gotta watch Keenan. Cause Keenan be scheming with a plan or a plot to make it to the top. But they kinda in the middle cause they always hitting caught. This ain't the Hardy Boys or a Nancy Drew mystery. It's just Keenan and Kel and your vicinity like Siegfried and Royal, Ivan and Costello, Magic and Kareem. I I didn't have a podcast for a very long time because it was too much to learn. And then we had Giggle Boy started and we were in Gary's attic for fucking four months. <laughs> Lost probably 10 episodes because someone forgot to turn on audio or hit record on this. Oh, dude, I have I had to write myself a note. Hit record. You can't really see it on the camera, but I always forget to hit record on my audio. So I have to like wait for the youtube to upload and then try to rip it from youtube and it never fucking works right and yeah of course i know but we're live what's going on guys uh let's do it let's do this got a special guest been trying to uh try to get him on for a couple weeks now and he's just (laughs) he's exploded you figure you know you you think you know you got a guy locked down next thing you know joe rogan shouts him out and you can't get a hold of him anymore (laughs) it's uh it's a blessing and a curse, man. I It's such a funny stage in comedy to be at because I'm on the road a lot and I'm out doing shows, but I'm featuring or hosting a lot of the time. So the money's not great. So most of the time I'm just losing money to go and do new cities and it's like an investment, but then I have to go back and do my day job so that I can keep living indoors. You know? right. <laughs> so it's like between uh, like you know everything in comedy is going better than it ever has and things are starting to click but it's like man (laughs) that shit don't pay (laughs) oh dude trust me i've been doing this for a year and it's uh granted it's not traveling but i mean i'm slowly upgrading gear and stuff and i don't get paid for any of this it's just something i enjoy doing almost like you said like an investment maybe one day it'll work out but i like doing it and uh 
in your case, it seems like you're moving in the right direction. So for those of you, I'm having a fucking blast, (laughs) right? For those of you who might not recognize the face or the voice, uh, I'm joined tonight by Mike Eaton, a, uh, an Austin comic, kind of a big up and comer. What's going on, Mike? Oh, just uh, living the dream, man. I just uh, finished having lunch with a couple comics and talking about some plans for the evening. Got three shows tonight, so three shows. It's be a fun we're, one. We're at uh, Creek in the Cave. I got one at Creek, one at East Austin Comedy Club, and one at Vulcan. So, oh, so you're gonna be doing some running around tonight, huh? Yeah, baby, that's, that's the dream. <laughs> What's the? It's, uh, it's go ahead. Austin's fucking perfect for it though, because it's people don't give enough credit to how small geographically the city is mm-hmm. i mean i mean it's you know in la you've got at the west hollywood you've got the comedy store the laugh factory and the hollywood improv but they are not walking distance from each other they're a short uber but for sure not walking distance but you can literally hop on a lime scooter and be between creek and vulcan in two minutes yeah i think um the only times i've ever been in downtown austin has been with drinking bros people um mm-hmm. Like, I think, um, uh, you probably don't remember, we met at the Hard AF launch party. Yeah. yeah. Um, with your wife. You, are you still married or did you already ditch her for some reason? I'm not. No? <laughs> I'm divorced now. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you hit that fame. You hit a certain level of fame. You got to ditch the, the first one, right? <laughs> yeah. I, it was more just like, uh, I have to have so much commitment to both my day job and my, my comedy that there's not a lot of time left over. And, you know, I, I don't blame her. She, it's not fun to be, you know, second or third place. And uh, so, you know, I'm just, comedy's my wife now, and she's she's a hot bitch. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, hopefully you can at least get some, uh, some material out of, you know, a marriage and divorce. For sure, dude. It, it's, it's already going to be just funny. I mean, it's just the way comedy goes. I recorded my special in June, and... Uh, <clears throat> the material on it, I'd been working on really hard for about a year and getting it ready. And, you know, I'm only four years into comedy, so it was you know, exciting to put out a half hour. And it's like, let's fucking go. And I have probably 10 minutes of jokes about being married. Right. And w- one of the premises is that my wife is surprised that I'm not gay. Uh, <laughs> and I also am. And then now I'm divorced. It's like, so did you find out you're gay, bud? Like, right. it's so just the fucking timing of it is great. Yeah, I remember... Uh... Kind of the first, my first exposure to you was with uh, when you started Giggle Boys, and you, uh, you and Eli showed up at the the Drinking Bros before you even had the. I think you guys may have had your podcast, but it wasn't on the network. You guys just kind of showed up. I think maybe, if I remember correctly, like you got fucked up with Giorgio or something one night, and he he got you on the show, and uh, yeah, yeah, I just remember like, oh, these guys are funny, and then you mentioned like, oh yeah, I just got married, and I was like. I watching. I was like, to a guy, right? I was like, oh no, yeah. <laughs> dude, it's wild. How it, you know, it, it's actually even gotten me late a few times. Uh, where girls are like, wait, you're not gay? <laughs> prove it. Yeah, yeah. Prove it. Uh, but, but yeah, dude, it's. It, I don't know. It. I mean, it's partially because I'm very, you know, you know, flamboyant, and I gesticulate a lot, and I have a high pitched voice, and I'm, you know, kind of fashioning sometimes. People are like, yeah, that dude's gay. <laughs> hey man. <laughs> If it works, lean into it. I uh, in college, uh, I knew a guy who we were out at a bar one night, and he overheard this super hot chick that we had known. Like, we didn't know her all that well. Like, we had talked to her, but we've seen her on campus. We overheard her saying that her goal her freshman year was to turn a gay guy. 
So I had a friend who acted gay for a solid two months to sleep with this Amazing. chick. Amazing. And it worked. Did it work? It worked. It worked. There you go. Now that I'm in, like, I'm, I'm 34 now, looking back, I was like, kind of questionable efficacy there, but there's worse, <coughs> worse things you could do in college, you know? Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of one of those things where I think the evils cancel out. Because if you're a lady and you're like, I'm going to turn a gay guy, like, that's shitty. What are you yeah. doing? You yeah. know? <laughs> but but also, t- to be fair, that's a great opportunity for a dude to be like, no, I'm gay for sure. Turn me, bitch. You know? Yeah. yeah. Well, like, no, I've never actually had sex with a woman, so, you know. It, well, pretty, it seems gross. So, so ew. You know? But, I mean, to, I her, like to her point, I mean, how many guys, especially in college, like, meet some hot lesbian and be like, oh, I can turn her. Right, dude. I for probably three years, anytime I met a lesbian, I would offer to wear multiple colored condoms and pretend it was a dildo. It's just like, what, what, what are you doing, bud? <laughs> I look back on young me and just like, God, you horny retard. Oh yeah, or just be like, <laughs> like you know, I was in this like really weird like naked motorcycle accident, so now it kind of looks like a bad dragon dildo. You know, <laughs> if you're interested, but I don't know what you're into, but <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so we met at the Super Bowl party. That was a blast. Um, you did your Giggle Boys podcast. That was fun. Now you're doing your own, right? I am, yeah. Uh, so we had Giggle Boys, and then uh, it kind of reached its end. And we, um, it, yeah, it's, yeah, without you know, getting too into it, we got let go from the network for some rules that we broke. Um but I was invited back, fortunately. And also, it's you know, it's been nice because Giggle Boys started as me and Eli moved from L.A. to Austin around the same time. And so the premise of it was like, let's just talk about two guys trying to make it in the Austin comedy scene as Rogan's moving here, Hinchcliffe's moving here, Segura's moving here, all these fucking A-list, heavy-hitter, Netflix-level comedians. So we'll just talk about the, you know, the up-and-coming part of that. And... uh you know, we put out 60-something episodes. It was really cool. But now this one's a little more true to me, and it's just me getting high with comics and talking. Uh, it's highly social. Yeah, highly it's, social, it's, yeah. I was going to say plug the names. Highly social. Uh, well, I like it, yeah. man. It's funny. And, uh, yeah, that's one thing I was going to ask. So you're not originally from Austin. So are you originally from California? I'm from Texas. I'm from North Texas, Dallas-Fort Worth area, a little town called South Lake uh, is where I hail from. I... Started comedy in Austin in 2018, and uh, the old Austin scene was interesting because it was very clicky, and a lot of comedy scenes are clicky, but Austin especially so. And it was like I was doing mics every day, and I was going to you know Houston and San Antonio and doing mics, and then getting on shows and doing well, and then I just couldn't get booked in Austin. Save my life, I couldn't get on a fucking show anywhere, and so I, I had a an offer from a guy that I was working with, kind of part time to come and work full-time in LA. And then another dude was like, I got a room you can rent. So I gave away most of my belongings to comics in the Austin scene that I was friends with, packed up a car and moved to LA sight unseen. And uh, I did that for two years. It was fucking amazing out there. A lot of people talk shit on LA. I fucking loved it. But then the pandemic hit and it's just, that was a nightmare out there. They were so serious about everything. And we had shitty comics calling the cops on us for underground shows. I was like, fuck that. I'll just go back to Texas. Yeah, that is pretty shitty. I mean, I can see um, that's almost like the stereotypical L.A. mentality you hear about, right? Is like, 
you have comics there instead of comedy being their thing, like be, making sure that they're politically correct and, and by California measures is more important. You know, uh, they think they, it's such a fucking race to the bottom because it's what can you get offended by and make that your personality? Oh yeah, it's like, God, who, get, who gives a shit, dude? Yeah, and somebody calling the cops, a, a, a comedian calling cops on underground comedy. I mean, I mean, I don't know. My I made a drink before this, and it's really strong, so I can't think of it. But there's some sort of like Nazi reference in there somewhere, you know? There's something, dude. I got Anne Frank so hard. Yeah, we're just trying to be quiet in an attic, and these fucking yeah. backstabbing Jews sold us out. Yeah, some <laughs> some dickhead chewing funyuns too loud, you know? Got heard. It, dude. It 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 was. I mean, it it was also like pretty cool because it was the only time comedy felt like dangerous. Mm-hmm. You know, like people talk about that shit all the time. Like, are you worried about getting canceled or you can't say anything anymore? Dude, like, I, I have a joke I'm doing right now that part of it is I throat fuck an old lady in her stoma. And okay. and that's just such a graphic thing to say. And the premise is that I'm at an Alzheimer's memory care unit and I'm just throat fucking an old lady and I come and it comes out her nose. And saying that to people... They laugh and cheer and clap and are excited. Like it, that's. I mean, I can't think of a, like a worse thing to describe graphically to a group of people, and they love it. So you know, like that whole cancel shit's retarded. But during the pandemic, when people were reporting shows, I did one uh, in Downey, California, that was in like an Asian strip mall. So like no English letters anywhere. The guy comes and gets me and the other comics for the show, and we walk through a bunch of like nail salons and like through like, and this is after hours of their clothes. And then we walk through a kitchen and then back through a bar. And then we come out into like a, a showroom with 80 people and a bunch of fucking just like, it, it was like a speakeasy, like a real true underground speakeasy mm-hmm. doing a comedy show. And I was like, this is fucking sick. Yeah. <laughs> that was, Christop- that was cool. Christopher Walken's in the corner at a table wearing a headband, just spinning the barrel on a revolver. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, one man. guy cutting a finger off in the back. Yeah, gotta love it. It was, and like the show ended, and then like a biker gang took over, and they let like they picked a couple of us, and they're like, "You guys can stay. Everyone else got to go." <laughs> I was like, "That's fucking cool." Yeah, that's what you said. I'd be like, "Stay for what?" Yeah, I don't, I don't give a shit. Let's have fun. I'll party with the gangs. Yeah, with the gangs. I want to do drug. I had a guy offer me cocaine off a knife. Which is the coolest way to offer it to someone is stick a giant fucking Bowie knife huh. in their face with a line of, you want some? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I'm going to trust any cocaine nowadays and not have fentanyl in it, it's going to be from a biker off a knife. It, I will say it's the most nervous I've ever been because there's like that, I have intrusive thoughts all the time. So I like other than a lot of social situations, my brain will just jump to what is the biggest faux pas that I can oh, make. Right. And when you're doing cocaine publicly, there's always the fear, like, you grab the straw and you sneeze, and you just blow the line everywhere. You're like, there's not much worse that you can do. So now I'm sitting there, I got a knife in my face. It's like, if I sneeze now, I'm going to, like, scalp my lip. (laughs) Doing comedy with a hair lip, right? Yeah, right? Hey, well, you never know. Maybe that works, you know? Got to have an angle. I'm just a boring, fat, straight, white male. I don't have anything unique about me. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, now you're now you're a comic in Austin, so you know you check that that basic bitch box as well, right? No shit. So, so you you're in everyone L- else. You're in LA. You're doing, you know, essentially underground Russian roulette with comedy. Yeah. During the pandemic, what what made you decide to pack back up and go to Austin? 
So part of it was my wife at the time was living here. And like, that was part of it. My mom lives here in Austin. And the straw that broke the camel's back was I had a really awesome show lined up for a drive-in show in Burbank. And they had sold 200-something tickets, which meant 200 carloads. Right. So, you know, at least 200 people, but probably four or 500, you know, in all these cars. And uh, the lineup's amazing. It's Jesus Trejo and Nicole Amy Schreiber and a couple other big-name people. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm making some progress. It's not where I, what I wanted to be doing here. I wanted to be doing more shows like this every week, but you know, this is a show. This is fucking cool. And then two days before, it got canceled. Uh, because they passed some new law that made it illegal to do that kind of gathering. And then I got a DM from a guy here in Austin. It was like, hey, we'd love to have you on a show if you're going to be in town. I booked a flight. I came out here. I did a show at Zilker Park with like 300 people, not in cars, just people sitting in a park. And I, I heard real laughs from a real crowd. I was like, I fucking, this, this is where I'm going. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to do these all the time. Fuck a car show. Fuck a getting canceled. Fuck wearing masks. I don't give any. I don't even fuck, if I'm going to die from COVID, I'm going to die from COVID. I'm fat. I smoke. My lungs are probably wrecked. I should be dead. So if I'm not and I'm risking it, like, let me risk it. Not for nothing. And uh, so that was just like, I'm going to go here. Yeah, man. Die, die doing what you love, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just like. Farley did it. Are you going to go for, are you going the Farley route? <coughs> there you go. So. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying, you know, I'm trying. He was fucking great. And, you know, what a, what a great memory. And, like, the only bummer about Farley is the last year or so of his life, he looked like shit, and all of his friends were worried about him. I'd rather go, like, the Patrice route, where it's, yeah. like, a shocker when I die. It's like, yeah, we know the diabetes is bad, but, like, oh, shit, he's out. He's gone. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, that sounds great. No shit. Speaking of Farley, I mean, is, um, is, like, I know, I mean, until probably recently, like, has SNL or anything like that ever been on your radar? Is that something you'd want to do? I mean, anybody that says they don't want to do that is just lying or is already famous. You know, it would be incredible. I have heard from several people who have been on it and from people I trust in the business that it is a grueling experience uh, and that it, it, while it, it you know helps your career quite a bit and is very good for visibility, just the actual like SNL part is just fucking really difficult and a lot of work. Um, I would be, of course, ecstatic to be a part of it, but I, I don't think that my brand of comedy fits with them you know like I, my favorite jokes are all about sex and drugs and you know crazy shit and things that you wouldn't ever say on tv i don't have five minutes that i could do on tv you know it's so it's i just i'd love to but it's kind of like corporate gigs it's not really my wheelhouse i'm a, a comedy club comedian and you put me in front of a group of people and you don't give me any rules and i'm gonna make them laugh but you start putting constraints on that, and I, I'm not talented enough yet to do it. Right. Well, I mean, Bob Saget did Full House. <laughs> true. True. I, I mean, that's the thing. If if I reach a place where uh, – if they called me, of course, I would figure out a way to make it happen. I just um, – the comedy that I want to be doing is uh, stand-up. Like, I, I can do sketch stuff, and I've done some acting, and I've done some you know writing, but – what I really, really enjoy is just having a microphone and talking to a crowd. Yeah. Yeah. So what, um, I guess what, what created that spark to do stand up? Like, did you, was it something you wanted to, like, you always thought like, Oh, maybe I can do stand up, or was it like, a like a, uh, like, like you just fell into it or 
Like, how did you get started? Man, so I, uh, I grew up, I was a class clown and people always thought I was funny. And, you know, I, I had been hanging out with people and I had a couple of like stories that people would always ask me to tell. Uh, and when I was a you know, new group of people, what I didn't realize I was doing was just like writing bits and I was doing punch up and adding tags and trying different ways of telling the story and, you know, adding new details. And, uh, you know, I've always liked taking creative freedom with, you know, what happened in a story. And it's like, you could say that you went to this party and it was really crazy, but you could also add some fun details in there that make it insane. If it's not hurt anybody and it's just for entertainment. And I did that, but I got into motivational speaking and I got into like the self-improvement world and I was super into it and I loved it. And, uh, but I liked the funny part of it. And then I went through a breakup in 2016 and me and a buddy decided to go sign up for an open mic in Dallas. And I went and I signed up for it. And I waited like five and a half, six hours and did like three minutes. And it was a fucking nightmare. <laughs> it's like, God, this fucking sucks. And uh, I ended up having like a coworker that booked me to MC a gig. I bombed that terribly. I'm so unprepared. I'm like, man, I, I don't think I have it to be a comedian. And then I moved to Austin and Cap City the comedy club here, uh, they had an open mic you'd sign up for by email. And unlike most open mics, they sold tickets to the show to real civilians. So you'd have 50 to 80 human being audience members to do this open mic at. So it was, you know, it was like a show almost. And I did probably six or seven of those and was like calling myself a comedian and saying I do stand up and tell my friends that I was into it. And then I went and I visited LA and I saw the comedy store and I saw real comedians and I was like, Oh, what I've been doing is a farce. Like I have a fucking kind of hobby that I've done a, a handful of times. Uh, and then May of 2018, I finally grew a pair and was like, I'm going to, I'm going to put everything in comedy. Let's see what I can do. I think I've got something. And so I started doing open mics and I've been grinding my ass off since. And it, it's just that when you, tell a joke on stage and people laugh. I don't know that there is a single better feeling in the world. Oh, I get that. So. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. And the class clown thing, like I've, when I was younger, I thought about it. Cause I am a, mm -hmm. I, I typically like in conversation can be a pretty funny and witty guy. I've learned that like stand up is not where I'm funny. Like I've tried, mm -hmm. like even before trying it, I've got some people that I have some friends that do pretty decent with stand up, and they're like, just try to do three minutes. Right, put something together for three minutes is funny for three minutes. I tried doing it, like I can't get there. Right, like I'm a I'm just a witty yeah. person. My humor comes from just wit. Um, yeah, it's hard, so I can't do it. But um, yeah, I know uh, actually a a, a listener, and uh, he's been on the show a couple times. Uh, a guy named Jake, the Wake and Bake podcast, or Wake and Jake podcast. He's in Austin right now, uh, hanging out. Yeah, with I just saw Jake last night. Yeah, he did a uh, he. I guess went up and did three minutes at the Creek last night. After yeah. Got him on the list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought that was awesome, man. And I was talking to him this morning and he, uh, yeah, for one, he wasn't feeling real great this morning, but, uh, he, he's, I've talked to him about his stand up stuff and he, uh, occasionally he gets kind of like, I don't know. I don't know. I was like, dude, you're doing it. Like, that's what you got to do. Right. Like I, I don't know if you can probably name one comedian ever in history that was good the first 50 times they went up on stage. 
right? Nobody, dude. It, the context of it is so foreign. Even if you can get a laugh your first time on stage, it's not on purpose. It was an accident, you know? Like, right. you thought of something funny and you figured out how to say enough of the right words in a row. But, I mean, just the... You know, when you talk to somebody in a conversation, I was I was talking to Eli about this the other day. When you talk to normal people that are not comedians and you hear them tell a story as a comic, a lot of the times you're like, fucking get to the point, dog. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Because they've never worked on like the editing that's right. required in comedy where it's like, here's the important bits of the story. The rest of it doesn't fucking matter. Get the important shit out there to give the context and then get to the point of the story. And uh, just figuring that out on stage, how to give the right context, to have enough fat in it for there to be flavor but not so much that they're bored and like it did it's a lot so yeah i mean you, you just have to keep doing it. it most comedians say that it takes 10 years to even get good at comedy you know oh so yeah it's, yeah and you hear like i mean you still hear like some of the like the, the big guys now like whether you like their brand of comedy or not but like You'll hear um, like Segura, Burt Kreischer, all those guys like, oh, yeah, I was trying out something new at some club in Denver and just bombed. I was like, man, if these guys bomb, like them, I mean, it's not, it's, people can be, I think with stand-up, people can be naturally great stand-ups, but it's not a, it's not like they can just go up there with no plan every mm-hmm. time and just kill an audience, right? Like there's a, there's a formula, like it's a strategy, you have to go up there. It's a, it's a job. It is. It is. You, my favorite Segura story and the one that brings me comfort because I, I have bombs now, but they're different than my original bomb. You know, when I first started, I would have four minutes of just fucking silence and me just like nervously sweating, trying to say things to make that better and it just getting worse. And it, you can feel the weight of the bomb and you're just like, oh, God, it's so gross. Now when I bomb, it's like, okay, that one didn't work. Let's try something that does work. Oh shit, that one didn't work here. I got to figure something out, you know, and then maybe you talk to the crowd or figure out what's going on. But <clears throat> you, you now I have enough in my brain, enough memories of killing that it's like, I know I'm funny. I'm just not doing it right now. We got to figure out where the funny is. But Tom Segura recorded his special Disgraceful for mm-hmm. Netflix one of the best specials. It's fucking hilarious. It's very good, very funny. All the jokes are amazing. The stories are great. He had already recorded it and was doing a festival in Canada where, because it wasn't out yet, he could still do the material. So he is following Donnell Rawlings and Donnell killed so hard that Segura went up with the disgraceful material and bombed so bad people were walking and they lit him early. Like they're like, Hey, this is, you got to get off the stage. This is going so bad. And that special is like five stars on Netflix, a thousand thumbs up. Like it's, it did very well and won awards. And that same material that night bombed so bad. He got lit early, you know? So like, there's just, it's like football any given Sunday, man. Sometimes it's amazing. And sometimes it fucking sucks. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I think disgraceful. Wasn't that kind of the one that really launched him? Was that the one? uh... That was mostly stories. Where he's, talk, he's talking about watching, um, fuck, what's that show? Scared Straight. Is that the, is that the special? Yeah. yeah. The bikes, yeah. Hold yeah. my pocket. The fuck you stole. Hold my yeah. pocket. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that definitely launched his career. But yeah, I mean, yeah, so it just goes to show. I mean, you can't, it'd be like um, being a professional football player 
and never practicing and then going out to a game and just completely sucking and being like, well, I'm a professional football player. How do I suck? Like, we, it's not yeah. like you have to work on this, right? So like how? Yeah, or I mean, it's like fucking, you know, the Chiefs, Mahomes is great and they're playing a fucking dog shit. I don't remember who they were playing last week, but they, oh, the Colts. The Colts fucking suck. Come and on, the man. Colts beat the Colts them. are my team. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Just, my they, we're not doing too. good this year. We're not doing good this year, but, man. And it's fine to be a fan, but the, right now they're not good at football. It should have been, you know, 42-10 oh, yeah. Chiefs. But they just came to play that day, and Mahomes, even though he's at the top of his game, didn't even throw a touchdown. You know? And so it's yeah. like, yeah, there's just sometimes shit's going to happen. The Chiefs are like that, though, man. They get like, I don't know if it's just complacency or play calling. I don't know, but the, the Chiefs get... I was at the... Uh, actually, Ross. Ross and Dan mm-hmm. sent me and my wife, because I live in Des Moines, Iowa, so it's like a drive, just three hours to Kansas City. So uh, we drove down to the Bills-Chiefs game last year for Sunday Night Football. Hell yeah. And even watching that, I was like, man, like the Chiefs just like... It looks like they don't even want to be here right now. Like, what are they doing? Like, I've seen plenty of pro football games. You can really tell them people are playing their hearts out. It's just like, there's no sharpness. Yeah. The chiefs are a weird team and they got to figure something out if they're going to, I mean, they could be a team of destiny. Like they've got the ingredients, but for some reason, man, they can't do it. Yeah. It's uh, I don't know. I, so I'm a Raiders fan, which I'm just sorry. sucks so bad. Yeah, dude. It's yeah. I, 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 I wish I could not be, but I love them. Man, fucking, hey, trust me, I wish I wasn't retards. a Colts fan right now. But you know. <laughs> yeah, man, they're man, fucking Raiders suck shit. But but I mean, so they're in the AFC West with the Chiefs. So I've you know I've grown up watching, and there have been games where like out of nowhere they just come and skunked us, yeah. and then there have been times where we just dog fucked them. So you know, it's, it's yeah. you never know. Well, is your any given Sunday reference? At least the at least the uh, yeah. the Raiders moved to a cool town to go see a football game. Dude, and that new stadium is gorgeous. Yeah, I haven't been inside. Last time I was in Vegas, they had just finished the stadium, and we drove past it on, what's that, 15 or whatever? It goes behind the strip, and I was like, that is the yeah. most insane, beautiful like stadium I've ever seen. Like that, and I was just in Minneapolis a couple weeks ago with Jack Mandeville and some yeah. drinking bros, and uh, the, the U.S. Bank Stadium there is pretty awesome as far as like, I've been inside that one. Like, this is awesome. But the Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, you look at that thing, you're like, I don't know. It's like a cross between, like, Darth Vader and that weird chrome bean that's in uh, Chicago, you know? It feels like the evil brother of the Cowboys Stadium. It might be. Maybe that's why they designed it. Somebody's like, I want, like, Jerry Jones is kind of this, like, very – I don't know, like in your face, flashy Texas dude. Whereas the owner of uh, the Raiders, what's his name? Uh, I can see his terrible fucking haircut yeah. right now. Yeah. So you got Jerry Jones that owns the Cowboys, oh, and you shit. have that Mark Davis. Yeah. You got Mark Davis, who literally, I'm pretty sure, lets his kids cut his hair or his grandkids at this point. He's like, I want the opposite of what Jerry Jones has. I want it to be more yeah. expensive, but I want the opposite, you know? Right. But it works. Opposite. I'd love to go even, you know, even if it's a team I'm not interested in, I would love to go just like tailgate a game in Vegas. Cause you know, everybody's going to be like going nuts. 
There's going to be so many people yeah. at that tailgate that had like a good night at the tables the night before, just going crazy. So, right? Dude, the tickets are fucking insane. Expensive that's why. Too. That's why. Yeah. It's because they're now like, somebody is here just like, and we'll have a good night and be like, fuck it. Like, I won two grand last night. What's 1500 bucks for four tickets? You know? Nobody lives in fucking Vegas. You know, like everybody's just there for a work conference or fucking, you know, their party weekend. Like, it's yeah. the perfect storm of a, just a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. I will say, I was proven wrong about Vegas being a sports town. Uh, mm-hmm. Probably, when was that? 2018. It was. It was the February after the shooting. The shooting was in like November. I was there that February. And the Golden Knights had just got there. And I was like, Vegas isn't a sports town. I thought like going, I was like, who the fuck? Like people in Vegas don't give a fuck about sports, right? They're they're there to work and entertainment. And uh, they're all transplants, you know? Like there's no native Las Vegas people. Right. uh, I just got one. I was there for work. And uh, I like Fremont a lot, so I went down to Fremont. I was staying. I was actually staying at uh, Mandalay Bay. Nice. Which was, and my view from my room was the concert grounds. Yeah. So I was like, this is fucking eerie. I mean, it was a couple yeah. months afterwards. And I was you're walking. I was walking through that hotel, and like all the people working there all kind of have the same like air about them. Like, Hey, like we know just like, let's not talk about it. And everybody staying there was walking around like, Hey, we all know let's not talk about it. You know, but yeah. Um, sorry, my kids. Yes, buddy. Go. Oh man. I moved my, I moved my studio down to the basement. I put my kid on the top floor. He still comes down. Kids, man. Snack machines. Oh shit. He, oh, he came down here to ask me. He wants snacks, and he wants his Nintendo Switch. Amazing. You know, Minecraft. Well, I mean, I guess, you know, better than, like, watching Blippy or something. But anyway. Yeah, for so, sure. So I was in a – I went down to Fremont. I was in a cigar bar, I think, in the Golden Nugget. And uh, the Golden Sorry, Nugget. Sorry, I got someone trying to call me with me. Get him on. What are they doing? No, it's my boss. All right, all good. Sorry about that. Oh, no worries, man. No worries. Your boss, I thought you might have been a kite. No, no, I I just had lunch with him, though. <laughs> yeah. So, but I'm in this cigar bar on Fremont Street, and uh, the Golden Nugget or the Golden Knights are playing. And next thing you know, like I just spark up a conversation with like, a bunch of people at the bar with me, and they're all locals that just had gotten off of their shifts. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, like we work here, we just got off, we want to watch the game, and then like. Throughout the night, I realized, like, oh, like everybody in this bar on Fremont Street are locals that work here but want to watch the game. Which yeah. Is, which is why now, like, I I played a little bit of hockey growing up, and uh, but I kind of, like, by the time I was a teenager, I was uninterested in hockey. And then uh, after that night, I've been a Golden Knights fan because, like, man. Hell yeah. That one night, I was like, the locals love it. I don't know if they're going to get behind the Raiders quite as passionately, but you never know. We'll see. You never it's, know. Uh, it's a good matchup with all the fucking delinquents and junkies, derelicts that live there, and then the team of them. <laughs> yeah, and then, uh, and then you know, you get a, you're 22 years old and a star, uh, star wide receiver, and you run your Corvette into the back of somebody's uh, RAV4 and ruin your yeah. life, right? Oh. 
<clears throat> yeah, it's going to be. I can't wait for all the stories to come out. <laughs> all the just fucking insanity. Yeah, who's that? Henry Ruggs, right? They're like star yeah. receiver. Man, that, what an awful story. Just on, on all ends of that. Just terrible. Like No shit. For one, like just some lady trying to like live her life. Her and her dog burnt up in a car. And you got this kid. I mean, a kid. What was he, like 21? Like, yeah. Just fucked up out of his mind doing 140 in a residential neighborhood outside of Las Vegas and hits this person. Like, they're going to throw the book at that dude because... No shit. Because that's exactly... That is exactly what people were worried about bringing an NFL team to Las Vegas, right? Yep. So And then it happened right away. Happened immediately. So we'll see. But, uh, I mean, speaking of that, you know, uh, I don't know if you've heard the news by now. I'm sure you have. But uh, R.I.P. Coolio. Yeah, rest in Gangster's Paradise, dude. He's, yeah, the pearly gates of, of Gangster's Paradise have opened up to him. Yeah. Are you gonna? Uh, I think his his ahead. hair is finally good. It's just fucking falling out, man. That I I I guess it's sad. I don't know. He had one song. I I don't give a shit. It's, I don't even like the song that much. The Keenan and Kel um, theme song. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, no. It's just like it, I mean, I, I'm a bad person about celebrities dying because I just never give a shit. Right. It's like whatever. But I'm also like. I fucking hate old shit, man. I don't think any movie made before 1980, with the exception of The Jerk, is any good. Yeah. I don't. I don't think the Beatles made good music. Mm-hmm. You know, I. It's, I get it. I get it. No, oh, I, I agree just, with you. The weird thing is, so my dad was from East London, and I grew up listening uh-huh. to the Beatles, and uh, like, so my dad passed away on Father's Day this year. Thanks, Dad. I've brought damn. that up a lot, but uh, yeah, I, I'm now finally able to openly say, like, the Beatles. Overrated. Every song on the Across the Universe soundtrack is better than the original. I I got into oh, this yeah. argument with someone the other night, and I said that Joe Cocker makes John Lennon sound like Yo Bill Ono, and I, they, they wanted to fist fight me, but, but it's like, ah, oh, come on. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I have, like, speaking of Vegas, I have seen the Beatles love Cirque du Soleil show three times. Pretty dope. Oh, it's awesome. And maybe like, again, I'm not a, I'm not going to sit here and like shit on the Beatles music and say like it's garbage, but it's, I think it's overrated. But growing up listening to it a lot and then seeing it put to that kind of acrobatics, I'm like, this shit's dope. You know? Yeah. I mean, Cirque du Soleil is great. It's, yeah. uh, they, they can make anything work. Um, uh, yeah, I, I haven't been to one in a while, but they're, they're so much fun. Uh, gee, I, I fucking don't do anything but comedy anymore. <laughs> you know, right. I, I I forget to go and do life shit. Right. Yeah. So, but again, you know, R.I.P. Coolio. You know, make sure you say yeah. your, make sure you say your prayers in the street lights tonight. Pour one out for the yeah. homie, and uh, yeah, you know, cheers to his fantastic voyage. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, you just released a special on YouTube. I did. You did. So, where did you shoot that? Uh, that was at the ballroom at Spider House here in Austin. Um, it, it was pretty cool. So these guys came here uh, from Florida, and they started a club called the Sunset Strip. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had been doing shows at one venue, and then they started doing it at another one. But they're like, they're really doing it the right way. They take care of comics. They pay well. They fly in great talent. They connect people. They party. They facilitate the parties. Like it's they're great. I could not speak higher of them. 
they decided that they wanted to showcase some of the up and coming talent here in Austin because there's a lot of people right now that are just fucking killing it. Like right. we have so many people in this town that are doing well. And so myself, Adam Lucky and Heather Shaw all recorded 20 minute specials. I went last and I ended up doing 27, 28, somewhere in there. So that's what mine is. But, uh, Adam's a fucking monster. He moved down here from Seattle and has, you know, done just a ton. Of, he runs the best show in town, Filthy. So he's got a great fucking special. Heather Shaw is just a beast. Uh, she came here from Florida, and she's, you know, blowing up on social media. And then I'm here back from L.A. So it was like, you know, three people that have moved from other scenes and are doing really well here. And so we recorded our specials together that night. And, uh, dude, one shot, one kill. I mean, we had one night of recording. We all nailed it first try. And... Mine was the first one to come out, and it's doing pretty well. People, I've gotten some really positive feedback on it, so I'm I'm happy about it. Nice, yeah. It's on your uh, your YouTube page, correct? Yeah, Mike Eaton, E A T O N. It's on my YouTube. Yeah, I went on there. I actually watched it today. Oh it, hell yeah! Yeah, it's funny. For one, for somebody who has spent a lot of time uh, through work traveling through airports, <laughs> like hilarious. You got a lot of airport comedy on there, you know. So. <laughs> Fucking hilarious. And uh, I did notice your highest viewed show on your uh, clip on your YouTube channel is something mm-hmm. about your dog. You have like three and a half million do- or three and a half million clips. Bro, that is the funniest thing. So literally 10, 12 years ago, uh, a friend of mine who uh, like I knew through like a charity thing that we worked together in sends me a video and she says, hey, I'm not like really techie. Can you upload this to YouTube? I think it's really funny. And it's her dog uh, has chewed on her glasses. And then she goes with the broken glasses like, Rooney, did you do this? And it's a three-legged dog. And then it like cripple walks itself and puts itself in the cage in timeout. And it's just super cute. But I upload it. I put like a tag on there like guilty dogs, dogs, cute dogs, whatever. But literally fucking 12 years ago. And it blows up and gets like in the first day like two and a half million views. And so then I get an email from some company that's like, hey, we want to use this on the news. We'll pay you for the rights to it. And I was like, well, it's not even my video. So I connect them with my friend. So some lady like paid her 800 bucks for the rights to this video. And it just sits on my channel and just keeps getting views. And like, I mean, still to this day, people comment shit on it. Like, why are you being mean to that dog? And it's like, dude, look, this was filmed on like a Motorola Razor dog. Look at the video yeah. quality. Like, yeah. But yeah, that's my most viewed one. And then my second most viewed thing has like 22,000 views and it's a clip from the special where I talked about gay jokes. Yeah. yeah, right. But uh, yeah, I just, I found that funny. So like, of course, right, right. of course, like uh, a working stand-up comic is going to get upstaged by a dog with a guilty face. Yeah, a three-legged dog from a decade ago. Oh, like, I think that dog's dead now. Like it's so fucked up. It's still outshining me. You'll never beat a three-legged dog. I mean, at least not on the internet, physically. I mean, to beat the shit out of it, but, you know. Dude, I will Michael Vick that puppy in real life. Fuck it's that. It's got three legs. It's useless. You just drown yeah. it at that point, you know? <laughs> I'll kick it in the fucking stump. Especially after, yeah. it chews up your, especially after it chews up your glasses. Like, I don't know what right? I don't know what your eye care insurance is like, but mine's not great. Those glasses are a pain in the ass. No shit. Yeah, and then I got to talk to an optometrist again. Dude, I got high as a fucking kite and went to my eye doctor 
and they have an, a I don't know how new it is, but it was new to me. But you, they like they hold your eye open with these little calipers, and then they shoot air into it. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh huh. And I've I've had the normal air one, but they, this one did it like a bunch. And then on a big screen in front of me, it makes a three D map of my entire eyeball. So you can see like in real time, like where all the blood is going through the eye and stuff. But so I asked the guy, I was like, you know, are my eyes okay? I have a slight astigmatism. You know, it's not really getting worse or anything. So that's good, right? Um, and then I was just joking. I was like, hey, you know, uh, I'm probably pretty good on glaucoma, right? <laughs> like, I, I bet I don't have that. And he explained that the reason that smoking weed is prescribed for glaucoma is because while you're actually smoking, like the fire of like, using fire to burn flour, the cannabinoids that get incinerated that way cause a decrease in pressure inside of your eyeballs. So it lowers the pressure, which gives relief from the glaucoma that's up the pressure by having this chunky tissue on it. So I was like, oh, that's fascinating. So I'm, I'm good. And he's like, well, for like management, you'd have to be smoking like a lot, like several times a day. And I was like, look at it. <laughs> he's like, yeah. Pretty low pressure. <laughs> low pressure. Pretty cool. <laughs> so yeah, low eye pressure, high blood pressure, dog. I'm killing it. <laughs> so speaking of that, I mean, where does like getting high come in with your comedy? Like, do you do you get high before going and doing sets? Do you get high and write? Do you like to do that kind of stuff sober? Uh, all of it. I do all of it high. Um, I so I smoke weed as a uh, like. It sounds stupid, but it's really like medicinal in the way that I use it. I have terrible ADHD, like just I have no executive functioning center whatsoever. And then on top of that, like I get pretty grumpy and I have pretty bad anxiety. So if I smoke, the anxiety chills, the the erratic thoughts from the ADHD kind of subside. And I can get a little like I can grab a thought and hold on to it a little bit longer. Uh, so I smoke pretty frequently, but I don't like rip fat bowls to just get blasted like i'm not like all day i'm just like a little high all the time and uh it helps me with comedy quite a bit because i can i have the i mean the add mixed with the weed like really works because sometimes i'll grab a thought but then it's like all the shit that i'm not grabbing i realize that it's there and that can create for some pretty funny similes and parallels i mean that's where comedy comes from it's just it's you're saying the unexpected and there's paths and links that happen in my brain, whether it's from my brain or weed or ADD or what it's, there's things that you wouldn't connections you wouldn't normally make that happen. Uh, and so it, I like it a lot. Um, I've done all of it sober. I've done, I've written sober. I've performed sober. I've done it without it. I just prefer it with just a little buzz, but mm-hmm. it's also to the point where it's like, if I didn't hit something before going on stage, I don't really notice, you know, it's right. not like a huge deal. Right. It's probably about like me. Like I'll do a granite when I first started this show, I by the time I got done I'd be blacked out. Mainly because sometimes I don't even start the show until like eight PM and by then yeah. like, I've been dealing with my kids for like four hours, just like phew, vodka LaCroix get me through this. And I get somebody yeah. on, I'm like, Ooh, by the end it's like, Yeah, we're gonna wrap this up. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm seeing three of these cameras and it's a one camera show. But uh <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I get it. Like it, you know, but like I, I won't perform drunk. I like, I won't perform um, like most, I won't do anything that will take away from my baseline mentality. I'm right. not going to do Xanax. I'm not going to do Coke. I'm not going to do any, you know, 
any of the hallucinogens are way off limits. Like just anything that would change my brain chemistry from the way that I'm used to it working. Right. But a little bit of weed or not a little bit of weed is fine because that's just a baseline brain thing for me. But I'm also like, I wouldn't eat, I, edibles don't really work on me. I have a very high tolerance. So for me to feel them, I got to eat about 150, 200 milligrams. I won't do that before I go on stage. Like that, you know, I, I, that's just a different kind of high. Right. That's too much. So like, I don't ever want it to interfere. I take it very seriously. I know it sounds kind of flippant, like I'm high or not high, but like, I, I w- will not get on stage if I've got too much stuff in me. But, and like, I'll make sure right. I get open mics and shit. But right, what's the uh, like? What's the wildest shit you've seen like in a green room? Oh, I mean, so one time I was at a show in Houston at the Secret Group. There's a room in the back called the Box, which is fucking amazing. I had a DMT pen at the time, which, I mean, it looks just like a weed pen, but the cartridge is full of DMT. Mm-hmm. And those last about 20 minutes, like the trip on it, from like when you hit it to like blasting off to the effects of worn off and you're back to being human is about 20, 25 minutes. Uh, and I was about to go on stage and my buddy, I won't say his name just to protect it, but my buddy was about to go up after me and I was doing 15. Uh, and he was like, I got enough time, right? And I was like, yeah, you got a little bit. And so he took a fat couple of rips off the DMT vape and then just closed his eyes in the green room and just blasted off into space. And then while he's coming down, he gets called out on stage. <laughs> How'd that go for him? He did great. He's a very funny guy and he handled it very well. And it's, you know, that's one thing is like people that are kind of that flippant about drugs. I always trust them with their drugs because they do it enough that they're that flippant right. about it. So it's like, he was fine smoking DMT in a green room because he's done it enough. I've done it before, like open mics. I had an open mic I went to in Burbank at the Empire Tavern. Me and my buddy went to sign up at 5.30. The show doesn't start till 7. So we go out to my car and we're just blasting off back and forth. Uh, and then I, I guess we like lost track of time and we go back inside. And as I'm walking inside, everything's still all kind of tingly and like, ah, and then I had to get up on stage. That went fine, but it was just like, Hello, reality. <laughs> right. Yeah. I guess the one you got to worry about is like, there's some comic back there just like, you know, like I've done cocaine a couple of times, but fuck it. Let's try it. Like right before I go on stage, right? That's the one you're like, oh shit. Like this might not yeah, work out no. for <laughs> Right. Makes sense. So you got your special out on YouTube. Um, kind of a big thing for you. I was imagine is a, you opened up for Louis CK in Austin, right? Yeah, that was really cool. That was um, my favorite thing about that, so I had reached out to the owners of the club. Uh, I didn't notice that he was coming to town. I didn't see the dates. I just I don't follow like who's coming to town mm-hmm. at the clubs because I'm performing at them. So like I'll see if it's somebody good or you know if it's exciting, I'll hear about it. And then I hear Louis coming, so I reach out to the owners and I was like, hey, can I work as like a bar back or like wash dishes or something? The tickets are already sold out, but I have to be in the room. I have wanted to see Louis C.K. live for as long as I can remember. And I had tickets to see him like three different times and all three shows got canceled and then he got canceled. So I've never gotten to see him live. So I was like, please just let me wash dishes. And they were like, we'll make sure you're there. And then they reached out and they're like, Hey, would you like to host for him? And I was like, get the fuck out. So it was super cool. It was very nerve wracking. It was exciting. But so first show is like a 7 PM show. I get there at like 6 15. I'm sitting in the green room uh, with the feature Ariel Isaac Norman. Uh, and then Louie walks in, we say hello, we're talking for a minute, and then he's being very cordial, he's getting to know us, and he asks Ariel what she does besides comedy, 
she says, well, right now I, I'm working on my sister's book. It's about lesbian mermaids. And Lily was like, huh, interesting. Okay. And I was like, man, that has to be the smelliest pussy, right? Mm-hmm. Thinking I'm being funny, it bombs. Like, both of them are like, what? And I'm like, oh, that sucks. You know, all right, whatever. And then Lily goes, where would a mermaid pussy even be? And so then the three of us are like kind of like spitballing about where a mermaid pussy would be. And then the door to the green room opens up and Joe Rogan, Tony Hinchcliffe, and then the two guys that were on Joe's podcast that day all walk into the green room. And I'm like, oh, holy shit. Hello. And like, I've met Tony a few times. And so he recognized me. And hello, Mike. You know, so that was cool. And then he introduces me to Joe. This is amazing. I'm blown away. And then we all kind of settle and sit back down. And then after like a beat of silence, Louie looks over to Joe and goes, hey, Joe, where do you think a mermaid's pussy would be? <laughs> and then Joe doesn't even miss a beat. He goes, well, fish, uh, you know, the, the girl fish lay the eggs and then the male fish go and put their semen on top of the eggs. So they don't even really have like a fuck hole. So I don't even know that a mermaid would like even necessarily have a pussy. Right. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's just like being on his fucking podcast. He's right. just never off. It was incredible. So it was a really cool experience and getting to watch him. Uh, I sat side stage in between the green room and the stage. And it was just me sitting there getting to watch Louie. Uh, pretty fucking cool. And that was at what, uh, what club was that? Was that the Creek? That was at Creek. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, Louie came in town. Uh, he's got a new movie, 4th of July, that he did with Joe List. And the two of them were in town. But Joe was at uh, Mark Norman's bachelor party. So Joe mm-hmm. wasn't going to be able to be there to fe- feature and host for the first night's of show. So they let a couple locals do it. So we got – and it's also – you know, Louie does theaters and arenas. And, like, you know, three, five, seven thousand people. And this is 200 people in, like, an intimate comedy club setting – and it was just like, what a fucking dream to even get to watch, much less be a part of. Yeah, did he uh, Did he work the crowd at all? Did he do crowd work? Not really. He, he, no, he doesn't do a bunch of crowd work. Um, he's running a new hour, and this was his first time doing the hour in not an arena setting. It was really cool, because before the show, he was like, uh, talking about how he was nervous. And he goes, I, I'm you know, nervous to see how this goes. And I was like, oh, you're nervous? Motherfucker, right. I got to open for you, bitch. Like, what are you talking about? Right. But he's like, you know, it's good to be nervous. You know, it means you're so excited. But he was you know, talking about, he's been doing just arenas and tours, so you got to go back to clubs because they keep you honest. You can't use just like the presence of you being there to, to skate by and coast. You got to go and make people actually fucking laugh. And between the first and the second show, he probably changed 50 little things and just the ordering of words and little tags and the way that he uses an inflection on stuff. I mean, he's truly a fucking master and getting to watch the way that he does that was just, I mean, it's a master. I, my first set was probably like a six or seven out of 10. And my second was like an eight and a half or a nine and it got a little bit better. And so I, I got off stage after the first one. I was like, that was pretty good. I got like an applause break. I got like a, like a really big pop on one of my punchlines. I'm fucking stoked about it. And then I go and watch him, and it was like, my 10 would be like a 2 for him. Right. Just yeah. the way that he fucking builds on laughter. And you you hear a premise and start laughing, and then you get to the fucking setup, and you're laughing your ass off. And then by the time you hit the punchline, you almost can't breathe because you've been laughing for 45 seconds. And it's just like, how do you it's, – it's, he's just so good. It's wild. Yeah. And then you said he, uh, he introduced you – to, to Joe Rogan, like, does that really, like, was it like, hey, this is Joe Rogan, and you're like, yeah, I know. It's so funny, because, like, I've started to get to a place where I meet people, and I was talking about this, actually, with Jonathan Kite recently, 
um, it was Kite's birthday not too long ago. And uh, I saw uh, someone had wished him a happy birthday on Instagram. And then I, I texted him. I was like, is today your birthday or is it tomorrow? And then I realized, oh, I can just Google it. He's a fucking celebrity. Right. His birthday is online, readily available information. <laughs> it's like, why are you texting this guy? You can fucking Google it. But it's the same thing with Joe. It's like you meet him and it's like, dude, I've heard your voice for hundreds, hundreds of hours. It is wild that the podcast guy is in front of me right now. Yeah. I bet it's got to be fucking insane. The, uh, his hands are so strong. Oh, <laughs> you can I tell. shook his hand. It was just like, Jesus Christ, man. I, I'm a big dude. I have big hands. I wear like a size 13 ring. I do a lot of grip strength exercises. So I, you know, like normally my handshake is like very, I'm a Southern guy. I got a strong handshake. So I went in with a like, hey, I'm a man, respect me handshake. And it was just like, he was just like, hello, I'm shaking your hand. Fucking monkey grips, dude. Oh, like, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine a, uh, a handshake from Joe Rogan has the potential to like just break a weaker man's fingers, right? For sure. I felt proud that I didn't break anything. I was like, yeah. That's cool. I mean, it's actually like, uh, I think you even brought it up uh, maybe a couple of days after that. You got up on with Ross at, drink, at the Drinking Bro studio and we're talking about that. And uh, probably one of the biggest appeals about Joe Rogan, who is the father of all podcasts, right? Like, if, mm-hmm. you're, doing, if you're doing a podcast and you're not just like a pretentious asshole or something, like, odds are like Joe Rogan is the person you're looking at like, what the fuck is this guy doing? You know, right? Um, but it's really cool to see like him being that famous and that influential is still just who he is, right? Like he just he walks into a room, he meets this a local comic like you, and he's like, "Oh, hey, what's going on, man?" Not like, "Oh, I'm Joe Rogan." Like, who's this guy? Like, it, it, and it's his humility is incredible. If you go and watch the Protect Our Parks episode five. It's when he has Ari Shapir, Shane Gillis, Mark Norman on the pod, and they call it that on his. But if you listen to them talk, they give him props for that, and they talk about it. But it, it's really interesting to see how – I mean, Shane Gillis is probably the funniest guy in America right now. Like, that dude on stage, I, I don't know that there's a single person I think that yeah, he couldn't just bury, you know? He's so fucking good. But just to see, like, and Norman is at that level, and fucking Ari's at that level. I mean, they're murderers. And still just the amount of respect that they have for Joe. And Joe's just like, no, you guys are my friends. We're all equals. What are you talking about? Right. It's like, dog, you have, you have the, the history-making podcast contract yeah. from a streaming service. Like, we're not all the same. Yeah. And he still just is that, that guy. It's fucking sick. Yeah, he's the white Oprah. Yeah. You know, Very much. Like, he is one of the most influential people on the planet, you know? Yeah. So, well, that's cool. So, you, got, you opened up with Louie. You got the shout out on Rogan a couple of days later. What was that like oh, waking so, up to? So the Rogan shout out uh, is fake. I I put. Oh, you the, fooled me. Like, I, God damn I know. I, know well, I, I put it in the comments and I posted it on the story and I was like, hey, I made this. This is they were talking about. Um, fuck. Oh, they were talking about like if you made a Disney movie uh, and made it more accurate where like, you know, the, the deer gets fucking killed and eaten. Oh. And so they kept saying, like, I want to remake it where, like, the deer gets fucking eaten. And, and so then I clipped it, and it was like, get eaten, get fucking eaten, get eaten. <laughs> and then, you, like, you an hour later, man. they're talking about Joe List's new special on YouTube. Oh. And so he's like, he's got two specials on YouTube. <clears throat> they're great. And I, you know, edit and put my face over there, like, over Joe List's face. I thought that it would be, like, obvious enough that people would see it and be like, 
oh, ha, 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 good promo, Mike. But a bunch of people are like, dude, congratulations on the Rogan shout out. I was like, no, 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 no. Stolen Valor. It was a joke. You guys, come on. Look at me. I'm a retard. All right. Well, let it be known that Mike Eaton's a fucking liar. And, uh, well, cool, man. But so before we wrap up, you've been touring a bit with, uh, with kite right how's that been dude it's awesome we just got back from uh batavia illinois it's a suburb of chicago uh we got to perform in the comedy vault man fucking shout out to the comedy vault it is it was the batavia first national bank and then they bought it and turned it into a comedy club so there's like the fucking bar is like the old bank vault and like it has the big vault door on it hey it's just a great place the crowds were awesome the owner and the manager are fucking the nicest people ever uh it it's really cool to watch uh kite work too because he also he works really hard and he's very specific about what he works on and so it, it's cool to see the way he changes his hour because we did five shows and he did five different hours um you know there were some of the same jokes in there but all five of them were uh different ordered and different words and some jokes on one and different jokes on another so it's just cool to see uh like that level of work from him and then you know we come back here and then we had a bunch of shows here together and also they're just local shows and he's using those to work on stuff that he couldn't work on there it's like man that's fucking dope so i i love touring with them um we are doing austin together in uh december he's doing a headlining weekend uh december here and then my next road date is i'm gonna be on skank fest so super fucking stoked about that that is probably the biggest comedy festival in the country uh, and this year it's going to be in Vegas. Ooh, nice. And I mean, Bert Kreiser, Luis J. Gomez, Big J. Okerson, Tony Hinchcliffe, Polly Shore, fucking H. Foley and the Are You Garbage guys. I mean, it's fucking uh, Ari, Shane, all of them. I mean, it's going to be fucking monstrous. Yeah. What uh, What's the dates on that? That is October, I think, 13th through 16th. Oh, so coming up soon, a couple weeks. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, man. That sounds like an incredible opportunity. You going to hit up a Raiders game while you're there? No, but I think um, if everything goes well, December 5th, I will be performing at a Raiders tailgate. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Actually, I think the Raiders are in Kansas City that weekend because I looked at going down there to tailgate that one. Oh, hell yeah. But cool, man. Well, we'll wrap this up. I'll let you go. I know you got... uh, Probably want to get ready for your your three shows around Austin tonight. But, uh, dude, thanks again for coming on. I know you've been super busy. And, well, thank you so much for having me, man. This was a blast. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I know, like, once I, I posted out today that uh, you're coming on, like, a bunch of people that follow me were like, oh, hell yeah, a bunch of uh, – a lot of people saying uh, they love you on Kill Tony. Oh, hell yeah. So they wanted to, I, uh, they wanted to let I got you know. up on – the episode with uh, Akash Singh, and then I also got up on the one with Theo Vaughn, and they were both super fucking cool guys. So Dude, Theo, was, it was a good time. Theo's one of those guys, and again, we need to wrap this up, but Theo's one of those guys, like, I don't know what it is with him. Almost like, for me, so, for me, Theo and Burt Kreischer, I'm not huge on their stand-up, but uh-huh. them, conversationally, I think I find them to be hilarious. Like Theo is just, I bring it up all the time. Theo had like this one thing one time, and I think it might have been on Rogan. He's like out of nowhere. He's like, "Yeah, my uncle got bit by a gay guy, so like I guess we'll see." 
you know? Yeah. Was like, like, who the fuck <laughs> thinks of that shit? Dio is such an interesting person. So the first time I saw or even heard of him, I saw his Netflix special. And I was like, oh, this guy sucks. He's just doing a country accent. Fucking lame. I'm out. I don't need another Larry the Cable Guy. Right. So I, I discount him. I don't think he's very funny. And then a comic, I don't even remember what it was, but it was a comic I respected that I met somewhere. And they said that Theo was their favorite comic. And I was like, what? What? And then they turned me on. He's got an album. I think it's still on Spotify. It's like a 22 or 23 minute album. It's called 30 Pound Bag of Hamster Bones. And it, the, the story is a lady in his town got arrested with a 30 pound bag of hamster bones. And it's like, well, that just, the sentence is insane. And he just tells these two stories in it. And it's 10 out of 10. It's one of the funniest. Things. It's, it's in my top 10 specials of all time. And it's not even an hour, but it's so fucking good. And then he records this new Netflix special and I'm excited for it. And it fucking sucked. It's just like something about when he's got these big crowds and the Netflix cameras on, it just doesn't translate to Theo. I got to perform with him at Supernova in LA and he got up on stage and two minutes into a joke, his phone like buzzes and he picks it up and he goes, oh man, I just got an alert. The Falcon just died. But this app on my phone tells me every time a Falcon died, it was just unreal fucking hilarious. I mean, his delivery and it's perfect saying nothing. So like, he's one of those guys like Joey Diaz. You got to be there and see him right and, and then it translates and you go back and watch the special and you see like what it could have been but god he's so fucking funny and he just keeps getting a, a rough deal on these specials but cool. that dude is a murderer yeah for sure so uh before we get off here let everybody know where they can find you yeah i'm uh i'm on instagram mike is eaton e-a-t-o-n uh and then specials on youtube but uh the every all my podcasts all my stand-up clips and all that shit go on youtube and instagram so shoot me a follow i'll be around yeah, for sure, man. So yeah, that's uh, Mike is Eaton on Instagram, but then it's, I think it's just Mike Eaton on YouTube, right? Yeah. Awesome. So, dude, once again, thanks for coming on. Uh, good luck tonight. You know, you got a big. I know you got a, a busy night tonight. And uh, yeah, again, thanks for coming on. Yeah. For everybody watching, you know the drill already. Like and subscribe on YouTube. Go on uh, iTunes, Spotify. Do all the rating. Leave a review. This has been the Neuter Nation. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Good night. Adios.